Now you're ready to make pretzels. Open your bag of ingredients. Ugh. Check for millipedes. Four-finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Finger Discount. This week we're here to review the twisted world of Marge Simpson. I am Dando. I am Mitch. How has your week been, my good sir? Uh, it's been good, Dando. I performed to a crowd of eight people on the weekend, three of whom I invited, so that was always fun. Was there only eight people there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, wow. It, it wasn't signed very well, so even the people that I was like, come and watch... Um, for people that don't know, this is a Humans in Geelong Expo that I was invited to speak at. I sort of did a half hour on writing the book and how, how the podcast had grown from where it started to where it ended up. But yeah, so even the people that I was like, come watch, they've really struggled to find it. And of those eight, <laughs> um, three of them turned up about five minutes in. So uh. when it started, my friends outnumbered the actual audience three to two. <laughs> did you, did you sort of get intimidated? Did you want to go out on stage, or did you think, "Oh, this is kind of awkward now"? No, I, no, I embraced the awkwardness. I just look it, in my defence, the person speaking before me only had three people, <laughs> so I uh, I did ramp it up a little bit. Is that is, is that why we sold two books this week? <laughs> Possibly, there's a <good> chance. <laughs> The three people that I'd invited though, Ash, Tom and the guy I work with, they all sat in the back row. So, I just looked at this sea of chairs. I was like, guys, I think it's pretty safe to say you can come up to the front. (laughs) (laughs) Just regurgitating stories you've already told them a million times. Pretty much. Uh, The following day... No, I, I didn't go into the stories. I more just tried to take like a philosophy of... I was trying to be inspiring, but... One of my friends sent me a message the other day going, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't make it, I'm a terrible person. I was like, you should be sorry, because if you had arrived, it would have increased the audience size by 12.5%. <laughs> well, I'm sorry it wasn't a huge crowd, but besides the crowd numbers, it, it all went well? Yeah, no, the actual feedback was quite good. A couple of people that were in there started, like they were talking about it afterwards, not knowing that I was around the corner from them. So, like they, someone asked, what have you been up to? And they're like, oh, we were just watching this thing. And how was it type deal? And they were rather uh, positive. They really enjoyed the talk, which was good for something that I sat down to do at 11.30 the night before. As we, you and I like to do things at the last minute. Yeah, pretty much. It works best. It works best. Yeah, I haven't even watched was, the episode yet. I'm going to watch it as you're doing this little spiel now. I'm currently watching today's episode. <laughs> I was sitting there giving them dot points on... So, not dot points, but I was telling them about how to prepare, how to plan, and how to not leave things to the last minute. And I was reading from dot points that I had jotted down because I'd not <laughs> left myself enough time to write a speech. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Twisted World of Marge Simpson. What did you think of this episode? I know you were looking forward to this more than I was. Now, I think I've mentioned this numerous times on the podcast before that I think growing up, Marge and Lisa episodes didn't really resonate with me. wasn't really interested, sort of mm-hmm. cast them aside. As I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate them more. This episode, I always thought I looked at it as rather bland. It's the complete opposite. It's actually got a bit of everything when yeah, you think about it. I don't know what you were... You'd obviously misremembered. Because it's, it's, it's just the, it's the Marge, Marge stories just never used to really interest me. I liked the end. I remember liking the end. But yeah. the Marge aspect, I, I don't know, I didn't really care. It's barely even a Marge story, though. 
Like, it, it, it is it is for the first two thirds. Towards the end, though, and a few people I've read online have actually said that's a negative. I'm not too sure. We'll discuss it in a minute how the episode sort of becomes a, a Homer mob story as opposed to a Marge story. But continue. What were you going to say? Oh, well, I was just going to say that it's... While Marge is the driving force and she's the, you know, she's the got the most amount of agency in the story, it's also just, it's more about what's happening around her. Like, I, I think if you counted it purely on screen time, that's sort of more what I meant, that I don't think it's necessarily a, a Marge episode in the same way that Rancho Relaxo might have been or something like that. Like, there's every scene she's in is packed with other people in that scene doing stuff as well. It's bar, bar a couple. Well, I guess because the, the episode you're talking about is Homer Alone, I think I think she actually has more screen time in this one than she does in Rancho Relaxo episode. But like you said, the episode is about her getting away to be by herself at Rancho Relaxo. So she has more scenes by herself. Just where on this her own. One, yeah. yeah, exactly. Where I still think she drives the story in this though. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think she drives the story. But I just, yeah. more to my point, it's not, when you were younger, you might write it off as being, oh, it's, scenes with Marge aren't very entertaining. Mm. But this, it's not just scenes with Marge, Marge in this, is more what I was trying to say. Yeah, well, like I was saying before, I think it's got a bit of everything. It's got your heartfelt moments. So, like, when Marge is sad, she's given up when she just pretty much thinks, well, when she looks at the cat poster and she's just given up on her whole business, essentially, and the family has just to pick her up. Just lets everyone that owns that poster know that the cat's dead. Thanks for that, yeah, Marge. Yeah, exactly right. And then you got a bit of an underdog story. So, Marge against the, the investorettes. It's almost like a revenge motive as well, I guess you could say, a revenge story. And you, you're really rooting for Marge because they're absolute bitches to her in this. I forgot how mean they were and cruel. And I don't even think that they gave her out a cut of the profit, which is annoying. Like, they gave her the check for $500. Like, here's your investment back. But if their investment was up something and... Uh, was it seven eighths or something like that? I think then, it doubled, didn't it? Uh, it it was more than double. It was through the roof. Oh, okay. But it yeah. was. It it kind of led me to believe that you've they probably haven't given her a share of that because five hundred bucks is too even of number. I think they just gave her back her initial investment. Even though I guess she she like they were saying she was the one that said we shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, and they made money from it anyway. Still, she invested the money in the business in the first place, so she earned that money. Yeah, of course. We've also got uh, a great guest star. So, I know you will appreciate Jack Lemon because you love Jack Lemon. I <laughs> oh, do I ever. Uh, I think one of my favorite moments from the episode is when he just gives it the hello. In, <laughs> in, if you, I wanted to get the audio from Glengarry Glen Ross, but it's hard to find online. Um, okay. But it's, it's almost identical to the way he introduces himself as his character, Shelley Levine, from that movie. It's oh, really? Just, yeah. It's uh, when he's making cold calls. That's pretty much the way he says hello. I just love how wholesome he is. He could he could sweet talk anything. He could he, he reminds me of a nicer version of Jimmy McGill. <laughs> He's such a smooth talker. Like the business he talked up is the 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 pretzel business is bullshit. It's nothing. It's worthless. But he makes it sound like yeah. a million bucks. And again, that is probably a play very much on on the Glen Gary Glen Ross character because mm. he plays a real estate salesman in that who gives it the it's like every trick in the book about oh i'm only in town for a couple of days like he's working out of this office permanently but it's just yeah you know um flying in with the ceo he's only here until friday so we really have to see you tomorrow it's all about That's, perception yeah exactly and i think here yeah there's definitely some lines that you can draw between that character and the character of jimmy mcgill i always remembered him being in the episode more he's barely in it he's yeah. as, as like he's in it Alive for one scene, but if you don't include the video, 
Yeah, exactly. And yeah, they, I was surprised that they killed him off so quickly because if you've got Jack Lemmon, you want Jack Lemmon to be in your movie as much as possible or TV show or whatever else it might be. It does, though, make his death more memorable because because he hasn't been in the episode much. When Homer's going to you know have a go at him, you just expect mm. him to be there. You you, would ne- you never, ever expected him to be dead. <laughs> it, it makes it more of a shock, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think... That, that scene, do you find it funny or not? It's kind of awkward to laugh at it. The, the whole line about the car and everything, it, it's kind of like, I want to laugh at this, but I don't know whether I should. Uh, I didn't have a hard time laughing at it. I know, I laughed well, at it, but I didn't know whether I f- should feel <laughs> bad about it or not. <laughs> I don't think you have to feel bad about a fictitious character, one of whom only got introduced in that very scene, being dead. So, no. <laughs> I don't know, just laughing about a car accident. Anyway, it, it was the delivery's funny, though. Um, and also, like, whilst this episode is grounded in reality for the majority of it. The ending is very wacky, but not too wacky where it's too absurd. I, I think it's 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 a classic Simpsons ending, really, with the mobsters. Yeah, it definitely is. It, even though one thing that I hadn't really considered, it ends a tiny bit unresolved. Like the fight is still going on on their lawn and it's kind of left to your own devices to figure out who won. Yeah, I, I, I like that to an extent. But the, yeah. the, the, the thing is, though... The only thing I'll say about the ending is, why wouldn't Marge continue the pretzel business? All of her um, competitors have now been taken out. Why would she now stop making pretzels? I guess the I know, mood- she, I, I know she owes the money to them, but why wouldn't she just... In reality, why would you not just pay the mob the money and then have no competitors for your business? I think the mood had just changed. Like, yeah, she's got no competitors, but morally she knows that she doesn't. she hasn't done anything to earn the position that she's in. And yeah, maybe it's even woman. just a case of if this is how dirty I have to get my hands to be successful, then I'm not cut out for it. Uh, she needs to. It's the only way to make money, getting down and dirty. You'd get down and dirty for business, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. How many, like, I could tell some stories about the number of podcasters I've had to beat up over the last three years. <laughs> I'm trying to envision you beating up somebody. <laughs> would you be from behind initially? Like, would you blindside them? No, 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 straight to like them. Like crowbar to the back of the knee? <laughs> <laughs> Tonya Harding style? Yeah. No, no mo to Mr. Burns. <laughs> oh. No, I... Uh, see, you don't expect to see it coming from me because I'm such a sweet face. So, I'm more just like, you know, stand uh, uh, maybe six inches away from them, act like nothing's coming and then bam! The old <laughs> fist to the chin. The old three-piece feed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I also about this episode? I think Homer is great in it. This is the Homer that we all know and love. It's so often in the later episodes that uh, I think we mentioned it a lot during the... Um, and a lot of people complained that we were too negative during our review of our um, Learning Again Natural Diddly, but for good reason, because mm-hmm. Homer in that episode was a dick. Where Homer here, all he wanted was good for Marge. He's not mean for the sake of the story. He's not overly stupid for the sake, for the sake of the story. He's just a husband who wants the best for his wife. And he has these funny yeah. moments as well, like the, ooh, pretzels before the yeah. first ad break and things like that. This is... The best version of Homer. Yes, it is. He's pretty stupid when he puts a hot dog in his eye. But Yeah, that, actually, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that said, I can forgive that because a very similar joke is in my favorite comedy of all time, Flying High. So, I don't know if you've seen that, but it's when a character leads to how a traumatic experience in his life led to a drinking problem. And then it's him at a bar 
so like drinking problem is in he's an alcoholic but no the problem is that he just picks up the glass and he th- he misses his mouth and just pours it straight down the front of his uh, face i and think then, you've shown me that yeah, actually that's a recurring <laughs> gag that happens throughout it's very funny but see see Whilst that is stupid, it's more of a visual gag as opposed to Homer just being a complete and utter moron and not knowing yeah. something. Yeah, know? true. I also saw this as almost like a, um, I guess you could say a, a sequel to Scenes of Class Struggle. It's a very similar story where Marge, she doesn't fit in, has to do something she wouldn't normally do hmm. in order to try and fit in. But here, she's more of a got more of a revenge motive where in that episode, it was more to try and win the affection of the other people. Is it? I'm not sure if it's revenge as much as it's maybe spite. Spiteful, anyway. yeah, similar, similar though. Like, I guess revenge. It's not revenge, but they kicked her out, so she wants to them to get the comeuppance for kicking her out. Essentially, yeah, it's like an I'll show you. I can, yeah. I can make it on my own. I don't think she necessarily wants them to do badly, but she wants herself to do well. That's a good and point, rub yeah. it in their face. Yeah, and she does for a while, and it's just but like but. And she's about to be successful. Again, like, I love it when Homer plays it up at the power plant and gets all the people to come out for Marge. Yep. But then the investor rest just steal her business again. I was like, you bitches. Yeah. Well, that's how Macy's made it to the top. Are Macy's on top, though? I don't know, but Gimbal's certainly aren't. They went out of business in 1987, <laughs> for anyone that's wondering. We're Gimbal's. Uh, I've read online, I mentioned before, that a few people I've read reviews that they're annoyed that Fat Tony seems to steal the thunder of Marge in the third act. I can see their point, but I, I I feel like the writers wrote themselves into a bit of a hole somewhere between the second and third act, and they needed something fresh to happen because, like Marge, she'd given up in the business. Where do you go from there? I guess the only thing that she... The only... Maybe not the only, but one other way you could have taken it would have been that she takes her 500 bucks, she reinvests it into something else. So, like, she sells the franchise on gets her money, reinvests elsewhere, makes a heap of money, pays the mob off and ends up with more than the investorettes. Could have been a way for that to happen. Yeah, okay. So, she's, yeah, she sells the pretzel business, but but the pretzel business was going terribly. So, would she have been able to sell off the franchise? Um, yeah. The reason, she, the reason mean, she'd given up is because no one was buying pretzels anymore. Yeah, but people buy f- shitty franchises all the time. How many Gloria Jeans do you see? Yeah, true. Well, I'm not a coffee person. Is Gloria Jane shit though? We better not shit can this place. Could be potential uh, sponsors one day. I'm not necessarily saying that they make <laughs> a bad product. More that as They're a franchisee, um, you get screwed over by the yes. vast majority of, of all franchises. Really, like if you are in the business of owning a franchise, it's very rare that you're going to make any money. Big one in Australia is the old Tupperware, right? Oh yeah, Tupperware. Um, Unique. Candlelight, remember Candlelight? Did you have a or uh, what was it? Was it Domino's or something? It was like um, washing detergent and shit. Did you? Have, I think my mum got oh. stuck into that once. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd never seen that. Uh but yeah, tup- Tupperware is a big one though. Tupperware parties. I haven't actually speaking of that. I haven't heard of a Tupperware party for a long time. But man, in the nineties, Tupperware parties were the thing. You couldn't you couldn't knock on a door without entering a Tupperware. Party. <laughs> exactly right. Mom, I reckon my mum had one every at least every two to three months. And no one would buy shit. They, people just held parties, A, for the social side of things, I guess, and B, so they can get the little free shit you get for having a party there. Uh, yeah, I, I, they still have that equivalent. Like, you know, it's, I've, I've seen barbecue parties as a thing that happens. Really? Uh, in the States. I think, yeah, Penn & Teller did a really good episode of this on um, or on this, uh, on their TV show, Bullshit, just pointing out how it's a mathematical fallacy that it you know, it can't work. That, <laughs> like the, the entire system is set up 
for people to think they can get rich, but no one's going to, yeah. apart from the one person at the top of it all. Unless, I, but I guess they can wait, can't they, if you can get enough people to become sort of like a franchi- franchisee of you? Like, Yeah, but it, that's the dream that they sell you. Yes. But it's um just exponential mathematics. It can't happen. It's like that book, uh, you know, the, the book exchange, which is basically just a play on old school, um, uh, what's the word, mail scams of like, you know, just send, send one dollar to six people and then someone else will send it to you and blah 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 like if you do that uh so how does it work i have no send idea six books to one person <laughs> but and, i'm ready to sign up though <laughs> but it's basically a thing that like once you get to the four fourth or fifth step then you've yeah. you're up to like the hundreds of thousands of people that need to be involved in this so it just yeah it, it really doesn't work yeah it's just it's just all a, a, a nice idea it's nice on paper. Yeah. As long as you can try to sell it to someone that won't think. <laughs> it's funny of those people out there. I want to give, before we get into the review, uh, I want to give props to the writer. So, Jennifer Crittenden is her name. Uh, before she started on The Simpsons, she was uh, an intern for The Letterman Show. And since writing this episode, she also wrote episodes, Shrek 4. One was PDA Disbands. One was Maggie Makes 3. I can't remember the other one, but there's this one as well. She then went on to work for Seinfeld. Uh, she went on to work with Raymond, Drew Carey Show, and Arrested Development. That's quite a resume. That's a hell of an effort. Yeah. Like, you, you've pretty well won the game as yeah. a writer that's, if you've worked on all of those shows. Like, Simpsons, Raymond, Drew Carey, Seinfeld. That's 90s, A grade. Mm. Like, it, it doesn't... What, what other better shows are there of the 90s, really? Sitcom-wise. I mean, some people some people will argue Friends is, but no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you just say that because you've seen every episode 63 times oh, when mate. Nicholas re-watching it but the, the, the thing is uh, Friends was probably one of the more popular ones or is still today is one is probably the most what's more popular Friends or Seinfeld I think Seinfeld but Friends is a close second yeah definitely a close second but the writing just pales in comparison to Seinfeld <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> now what was your favourite moment from the twisted world of Marge Simpson uh, my favourite moment uh, there, there's a couple that was hard to choose from because there's so many iconic moments. There in really it. But is, it's Whitey yeah. Ford copping the barrage of pretzels. Here <laughs> come the pretzels. That's my favourite moment as well. <laughs> yeah, it's the cut, the cutaway, the fact that he's standing there pleading, it cuts away to the commentators and then cuts back and he's just unconscious on the ground. It's a dark day for baseball. <laughs> Black day. It's, it's Black day. incredible that moment. <laughs> It's so good. It's it's just has always stood out in my mind. And that quote of "Well, this is a black day," like I can, I, I will try to add that to anything when something goes wrong. Whenever- like Australia, in Pakistan, got you know lost. I don't know ten for sixty or something like that yesterday. It's like, well, well this is a black day for cricket. Yes, I, I I can't help but laugh at the fact that they're still throwing pretzels at him after he's down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still just raining it on. It's like a, a good old fashioned stoning. Yeah, a, a good old fashioned stoning because <laughs> there's something to good. <laughs> what was your new name for the episode? Uh, I had two. Uh, okay. These mob wars are making me thirsty, mm-hmm. and I pitted a fool. I've got pretz in the hood. Nick Barbaro, one of our patrons, has submitted Mrs. Fat Tony and the Mystery of the Missing Money. <laughs> As, that is one of Fat Tony's most iconic lines. So, please, the money. Yeah. <laughs> the money. Uh, Jasper Bruce with Pulp Kitchen. Mm-hmm. I like it. They could also work for 22 short films. Pulp Kitchen. Just for the, purely for the steamed ham segment. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep, gotcha. Uh, David David writes in with Doe, a tear, a female's career. Uh Extra points if I could have sung that in key, but I can't. And Nick Arigi 
with breaking bread. I do like that one. I remember reading that. So, obviously, you're reading these from the exclusive Four Finger Discount Facebook Patreon group. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thanks to everybody who signed up this week, by the way. So, at the start of last week's episode, I mentioned that because last week was the pre-recorded one on the free-to-air feed, um, I said, hey, if this isn't enough, because we only went for about 53 minutes for that review because it was a Patreon exclusive back in the day, like 18 months ago. I said, hey, if 53 minutes isn't enough for you, you can sign up right now and get the Springfield Files. And I must say, the feedback for the Springfield Files episode has been fantastic. I think after editing it, it is our best episode to date. I didn't know we'd received feedback. Where is this feedback? On the In the Facebook group. In the page. Okay, the last time I looked, there were only like three comments on there. So, I shall have to check again. Yes. Um, my father hasn't written in, has he? Because oh, no, I'm not yet. a little concerned. <laughs> but there's been some good memes about... Uh, and that and good memes from Nick from uh, about eating the milk duds. How good was that gif? Yeah, okay. I um, Oh, I did say the memes about the milk duds. That was pretty funny. Uh, what I'm... What I'm truly... Like, I, I felt like I'd already made ripples because it was my grandmother's birthday last night and I got un- uninvited to the dinner. So what? How? Why? I Are being like genuine? You were uninvited from a family yeah. party? Yeah. It wasn't a whole family thing. It was Nan, Mum and my auntie. So, basically Nan and her two daughters. So, you talked to and one of those people or they all hate you now? Uh, no, no, no. Well, Nan doesn't listen to the podcast, so she's still cool. But I, um, I, I don't think Mum does either. To be fair, but it's it's awfully suspicious because when you say, when, Nan, I'm sorry for interrupting, but when you say uninvited, like you need to, I want details. I'm about to get. to Oh, them. okay. I didn't think you. I thought you're going to skim over them to try, to avoid I'm more trouble. Backstory. Okay, good, good, good. Sorry, no, no, Nan. no. Go backstory. So good Nan, Nan, they're on their way out. Nan says, "Should I?" Uh, should we call Mitch? Maybe Mitch would like to come for dinner. And mum just went, oh, no, he's probably busy. <laughs> and oh, so it was the old, like, it's the old assumption, but I know he's not busy. Well, I was like, yeah, I live a busy life, but what if I ever missed a birthday? That's <laughs> my grandmother. So how did you find out there was a dinner going down? Facebook. I saw a photo afterwards. Oh, my. The only way to find out, Dando. Now you know how I felt when I find out that you're speaking at a Humans of Geelong thing. <laughs> Without mm. me. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry, but my agent, it was only a single person event. <laughs> um, it would have been unsatisfying for, like, it was only a, a 25 minute to half hour thing. Two people in that forum would not have been as good as any one of us. I, I honestly don't, don't care. I would have been too busy. <laughs> uh, trivia for this week. What have you got for me? Uh, what have I got? Three questions plus a bonus one this week. Um, what is Oakland's fastest growing software company? Oakland's fastest growing... Ah, oh, I know when it's mentioned too. Oh, man, that makes me upset. What is it? I can't remember. Oaklasoft. Oaklasoft, that's it. That's uh, Mrs. K says it, yeah? M- Mrs. K, yes. Yeah. What time was their meeting in that first scene? It says was on the it board. 9 a.m.? 9 a.m., correct, yes. Yep. Where was Investo the robot from? Planet Opportuniac. Uh, correct. All right, I've got, I've got three more here. What will I pick? All right, so how many kids does Cletus have? 26. 26. Was that one of your questions? Yes, it was. <laughs> I thought it might have been. <laughs> uh, I've also got what is Marge's pretzel wagon number? So you see it when they're handing out the flyers for the fate parade? Oh, it's a freeze yeah, frame. No, that I don't know. One? No, for those of you playing at home, call 555-3226 for the pretzel wagon. I didn't know you meant phone number. I thought you meant like there was a number. Oh, sorry. Like, 
like a fleet number of the car. No, Not that I had the phone number either, yeah, yeah, but yeah, just yeah. so people don't think I'm an idiot by thinking the number was one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Do you have Dial any one? Do you have any more questions? Yeah, um, my final question. What is the maximum theoretical capacity of Springfield Stadium? Ooh. So uh, I'm going to go with... A little with... bit of applied... What's that? I was going to say there's just a little bit of applied logic to go into this. Theoretical, I'm going to go 30,000. Okay, so I uh, no. Um, <laughs> based on the fact that Burns's ticket number was zero 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 one, yeah. then I'm going to say nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Uh, I guess if they, the, if they had the capacity to go higher than that, he'd have had more zeros in the ticket. But could they not use like black tickets and red tickets? I understand. Uh, I understand your theory. It's, it's a solid theory. A seat. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to get the rainbow involved, then yeah, sure, yes. they could have 16 million in there if they needed it. But... <laughs> what else have I got here? How many? What percentage of frames in America are hanging crooked? 40%. 40%. And I've got one, one, just one more question for you. What year was the poster printed? So copyright is pushing. 1968. 68, correct. Alrighty. So anything else you'd like to mention before we get into today's review, Mitch? Um. Oh, I did a... Oh, well, we'll... Two things. So mm-hmm. one, we, uh, going back maybe two and a half to three years ago, did an interview with Joe Montagna. We figured we've got a lot of new listeners that may not have heard that interview before. So we're going to pop up that at the end of this episode as like a little bonus uh, treat for anyone that hasn't heard it before. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, I did a guest spot on the weekend on a podcast called Dirty Harry Minute, which is breaking down the original Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry film minute by minute. Which, you know, seems to me to be a foolish endeavor, but I I give what I can. And it was actually quite a lot of fun. So, thanks to the guys there. And if you would like, Dando, I'll just quickly share with you what is possibly the worst line of dialogue that I've ever... It, almost in any movie that I had the joy of being able to analyze myself. I'll, I'll do this quickly so we can get into the episode review. But Scorpio, the main bad guy, kills a cop, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Harry and his partner Chico come running up. The cop is dead. There's another cop leaning over the body. This cop looks up at Harry and Chico and says, Poor Officer Collins never knew what hit him. Now, at the time, I don't know how well you remember Dirty Harry. At the time, Officer Collins was on stakeout specifically to try and catch the Scorpio killer. He was going to try to assassinate a priest from a rooftop. They had un- they had locked all doors in the San Francisco area apart from this one rooftop door near the building that Officer Collins was patrolling to try to lure him into that area. It worked. They engaged in a several-minute gunfire across two building rooftops with Dirty Harry and Scorpio. So amongst all of this, Officer Collins was not aware that Scorpio was coming at him with a machine gun. He, he was pretty aware of what hit him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like if you're not, like I just imagine, you know, Officer Collins is just, this guy's tearing down the street, machine gun in hand, and Officer Collins just, you know, smiling and waving. <laughs> Poor guy must need directions. <laughs> oh, where'd that come from? Oh, man. So that, that was your minute, was it? That was one of them. I did five. I was a guest for five episodes. I feel like in epi- in podcasts like that, though, you tend to overanalyze things because there's not much to work with. Oh, like, you, when I did the Batman, I, I did Batman at 89 a little while back. We did Batman. One minute. We? We did it. We did do the Batman, sorry. My, my apologies. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. It's like, always me, 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 me. The point is we stretched that minute to like an hour and 15. Yeah. There was, there was, <laughs> there was barely any Batman talk. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. We, we pretty much hijacked the show. We just started talking about shit and we forgot that we were on someone else's show. <laughs> That's the best way to guess. <laughs> All right. So, what, what was their podcast called once again? Just quickly. Dirty Harry Minute. Okay, For cool. anyone that's interested in checking out Dirty Harry cool. in depth. Sounds good. Alrighty, so the Twisted World of Marge Simpson, the original air date was January 19th, 1997. Chopper gag is I am not licensed to do anything. And the catch gag was the catch is a giant whack-a-mole game. So Mitch, how does the Twisted World of Marge Simpson kick off? Kicks off at the... Was it the Springfield House of Pancakes? I didn't actually write down the, the title. Municipal of House of Pancakes, yep. Municipal House of Pancakes, where, according to Agnes, the pancakes here stink. Yes. <laughs> Agnes was written great in this. She has some pretty yeah, good she, one-liners. She, she does have some good lines. She's, she doesn't go to waste at any point. No. Uh, but it's the investorettes kicking, like having a little chat, discussing their portfolio, and everything's going well. But like, like this is where they establish very quickly that it's going well, but it seems to be going well despite Marge, not because of her. So, you know, the risky investments to her are just a bit too risky, but it's the risky investments that seem to be paying off for the investorettes. Yeah, so she knows it's working, but she just she can't bring herself to agree to keep doing it, even though it keeps working. And buying a business is certainly a step beyond, you know, what Marge wants to do. Mm. Um, I, I just summed up perfectly with Marge not being able to keep up with the go-go 90s. <laughs> I, there's a couple of moments of real nostalgia in this. In particular, it's the uh, Marge putting the VHS into the TV. When does that happen? When she's in watching. The next scene. When she, oh, yeah, not, not, not right now, but I'm saying oh, in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the highlight of this scene is clearly you'll get your pancakes in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, but that's purely just the setup for Homer, though. When are the pancakes coming? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they're looking for a new investment. They want to invest in a franchise. How, actually, I want to say. Maggie Roswell deserves some props because she was fantastic as Helen Lovejoy in this. Mm. And she, yeah, she really well, was. Even this scene is like a Maggie Roswell showcase. I think she... Was it three characters of the five or six? Um, Helen Lovejoy, Maud Flanders, and Luann Van Houten. Luann, yeah. Three, yeah. It, sh- it shows how talented she is because the characters are all so similar, but yet the voices are still so different. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Like, none of them are wacky, but they're all clearly defined. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I also like what they their ideas for investing are. So cushions, everyone likes cushions. Or oh, children are so <laughs> fat these days. How can we make money off that? <laughs> uh, Helen then suggests the uh, suggests the franchise fair, and this is where Marge kicks in and says, "Oh, I'm not too sure about that. She's not keen on the risk, like you said." And then they're just really cruel to her. Like I, I guess hmm. she's been sort of nagging and nagging and nagging. But Marge, I don't know. The, the, the question here is though, why did Marge sign up in the first place? Um, because March hasn't got much else on and if she's like, they would have come to her saying, do you want to invest in this? And, uh, you know, it, it would have been that thing that she's just gone along with for a lack of anything else to do with her life. It is kind of sad, isn't it? When you think about it like that, Marge has literally no friends. No good ones. No. I mean, really say one proper friend that Marge has. Maggie. And that's the sad part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you get the pancakes in the mail, like you said, uh, we come back. Oh, we get to Marge telling the family over dinner about how she's been kicked out. They gave her her investment back, the $500. And Homer then mentions about how, you know, don't worry, honey, we'll be fine. As long as I'm earning money, we'll be able to put food on the table. Pokes himself in the eye with a hot dog. They call in sick because of it. <laughs> Lisa then says, perhaps, you know, perhaps you should take a risk. Lisa's actually quite, usually she's the one that's against risks as well. But here, she sort of urges Marge. She, she also, like Homer, wants the best for Marge. She wants Marge to mm. step outside her comfort zone and make something of herself. Yeah, and she's... She might be risk adverse at times, but she's also always very supportive of 
Marge, mm-hmm. which works. Like, it kind of needs to be. For the Lisa character is always going to be supportive of her mum. Uh, but like I was saying earlier too, I just I like that Homer wasn't oblivious to Marge's sadness or like when the business is failing, he is fully invested and he wants her to succeed. I've got here like Marge, she's not normally a risk taker, but you, know, you pointed, I've got revenge. You pointed, it's not really revenge, but it's just the, the idea of sort of getting back at them. It's just too sweet. She, she, she's going to step outside her comfort zone and really try and make something of this. Yeah, definitely being motivated by wanting to show them that they were wrong to kick her out. Exactly, yeah. Have you ever done something you didn't really want to do purely out of spite for somebody? Um, to sort of get back at somebody, even though you knew you, A, probably shouldn't, and B, didn't really want to do it, but it was just like, I'm just going to do it anyway, just to fuck you. Not really. I've never cared enough about what other people think. <laughs> oh, no, no. You did care when another Simpsons podcast at the beginning said that we were shit. Because it was wrong. You dwelled and you dwelled and you dwelled. <laughs> I just wanted to start a war. And because I knew it was yeah. a fight, I would win. <laughs> you threw dynamite into the room and just walked out and left me to fucking try and cover everything up. <laughs> Look, it's not like I was losing any sleep over it. I just was like, well, fucking... How dare you throw shade my way? Let's let's just, really, just, let's get into this. It was so funny though because you'd come in and you'd you'd I would you you would like want to mention them on the podcast now angry you and I'm like it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> like don't worry about it. It's fine. No, but it, it, it was mock anger. It was entertainment. It was you know. I know. Like I, know that, I know. Radio I'm Smackdown. <laughs> uh, I, I love it when radio. I love when radio shows that- have wars. It's great, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. But the only real difficulty is that to have continued a war, I'd have had to have listened to another second of their show. And that was never something that was going to happen. <laughs> so we're at the Franchise Expo and Investo the robot greets him at the door and he's just being very annoying. So what does Bart do? Just pours drink into him and destroys him. Now, for yep. some reason, I remember this being the one where he says, why was I programmed to feel pain? But that must be later on. Or has that already happened? Um, but you know the robot I'm talking about? I do know the robot you're talking about. Yeah. I don't remember. Not sure. I also happens. think Bart in this episode, it was written like old school, early seasons Bart, where he was mischievous and he was doing things that were naughty, but not ridiculous and and sort of uh, destructive. He was just yeah, like like running through the fleet to Peter thing and things like that. That's old school Bart antics, I reckon. Yeah, and I kind of enjoyed that. You know, while Bart's destroyed a robot, there he's done it for the right reasons. No one's cared. Yeah, like it's just he's, he's not just yeah he's just, okay. It needed to happen. Yeah, he's not being destructive. He's just helping out, really. <laughs> then um, we get the moon money spiel. Well, that's the miracle of the franchise. You get all the equipment and know-how you need, plus a familiar brand name people trust. You'll be on a rocket ride to the moon. And while you're there, would you pick up some of that nice green moon money for me? Royce McCutcheon. No deal, McCutcheon. That moon money is mine. We then get the picture frame. Uh, the exciting world of frame nudging. To be exact. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now you're the one who's being naive. Yeah. How great's the kit? The kit is fantastic. The straightening gloves and the book that answers all questions inc- that you're likely to receive, including who are you and what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> How great is that? And also, like, I think it's like wall lubricant or something so that the frame can move easier. <laughs> <laughs> Marge, she then second guesses herself. She goes, oh, I'm, I'm just not cut out for this. It's just not for me. I, I can't do it. She questions why she's even there. And then we meet the investor. Oh, she turns around, she sees the investorettes, and she's like, ah, that's right, to get back at you mm. bitches. <laughs> I don't know why I came here in the first place. Mm. Hello, Helen? Marge? Edna? Marge? Uh. Oh, my name is Agnes, and you know it's Agnes. It means lamb, lamb of God. I'm sorry, Agnes. 
Marge. It, it's good, I think, that they int- like they introduce there that the rivalry is going to continue. It helps kind of give some momentum to this. It's not just Marge. It, it, without that reminder, it could have easily just drifted into Marge is just doing stuff. But it just kind of invests you in her wanting to win. And it's it's funny, though, that the, the next episode, they're back to being friends again, though. Yeah, well, I guess you can have those sorts of friendships where you have a big argument and then you move on. Well, th- things happen in between episodes, I guess. They make up. Yeah, there's time. Yes. If someone hits a big reset button. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Disco Stew's Academy, then we get the, the fish are dead. So they now realise that, you know, Disco Stew, we can make a character out of this because I think he only first mm. appeared, was it, what was it? Was it this season or last season where the Two Bad Neighbours? Uh, two last Bad Neighbours. Last season. Yeah, last season, yeah. It wasn't too long ago anyway. So then the no. Vestorettes have walked up and have discovered Fleeter Peter. Isn't that area mm-hmm. a little iffy? <laughs> I think iffy. The delivery on that was fantastic. <laughs> what's the uh, what's tahini? Flavor sauce. Yeah, uh, just the Americanizing of the of the foreign food. I love the way they did that. Here, try a Ben Franklin. Yes. <laughs> it's really good. And the look on the chef when he finds out that she's calling him Christopher. <laughs> and just slowly pulling the window closed, yeah. Marge is annoyed because she, you know, that's the one business she might have had interest in investing in and they've already snatched it up. So she just, she just feels like she can't win. Cue mm. Frank Ormond. Ooh, you sound like me. Well, the old me, which was ironically the young me. I was once like you were, young lady, like all these people, lost in a sea of flashy gimmicks and empty promises. Then God tossed me a life preserver, a tasty golden brown life preserver. Here, try a pretzel. That's not bad. It's not only not bad, it's not bread. Not bread, you get it? Huh? <laughs> you see? <laughs> Jack Lemon's voice is just so comforting and warming. Yep. Like, he, even though there's something, he often plays characters that are probably a little bit shady. Like, it's, it's rare that he plays a comforting and warming character, but his voice just feels like home at the same time. It's just, it's, if he's on the screen, then something is right in the world. It's a shame that he's not with us because in the podcasting world, can you imagine how many people want to listen to his podcast? Or just, uh, I can't imagine that he would have one, but just, it's just a shame that he's not with us more than anything. Oh, exactly, like, yeah. But he would be, in the podcasting world, what would happen is that he'd be interviewed, which very rarely happened. Like, he'd be the exact sort of person that niche markets would be like, I want to hear from this guy, but he was you know, it's not like Lemon was ever on Letterman or, or, you know, he may have occasionally been, but he's not known, at least that I'm ever aware of, for being really open about himself. It's more other people talking about him. Now, that might have been a choice, but I also feel like he would have had some brilliant stories that have never made their way out. Yeah, for sure. How long ago was it that he did pass away? Um, It's a really good question. What does I think qu- it was... I'll quickly just Wikipedia so we can find out. Jack, I'll race you to it. Two thousand and one. Yeah, do you so what's that? Seventeen years ago. Didn't doesn't feel that long. Wow. When actually what surprises me about that is I didn't think the legend of Baker Vance was that old of a movie. What's it? It's in ninety five, wasn't it? Two thousand. Must have been one of his last films. Shit. Yeah, must have been. But what what explain to the listeners at home who may not know who he is. Not know who he is, but what what's he mostly known for? Well, Glengarry Glen Ross mm-hmm. and The Apartment, uh, also Some Like It Hot. That, like, So, The Apartment is 60, 1960 comedy. Some Like It Hot was 1959. Grumpy Old Men might be something yeah, that and the grumpier younger old men. listeners would be aware of him for. 
Um, what else did he do in the sort of old Jack Man age, a uh, Jack Lemon age? Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is the big one. Yeah. Oh, he was in JFK. Was he really? Name. Okay. Yeah. But he w- is one of the best. He- he's just a fantastic character actor. You could put him in to any movie and he would he would work in it. Like, it's just, he's the sort of guy that never gave a bad performance. Again, it, it makes you wonder, like you said, why wouldn't they use him more in this? Like, what, why, yeah. what, what was the point in killing him off so quickly? Like, uh, maybe so, so Marge feels like she's stuck, I guess? Possibly, or maybe it's just a schedule thing. Maybe you didn't really have a lot of time, but they're like, look, we've got this character. You, we want to get Jack Lemmon on the show. Maybe we could just squeeze him in. That laugh in that video is just perfection. <laughs> it's just so great. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, what do you know? What's that? Jack Lemmon is an eight-time Academy Award nominee. Winner at all? Uh, two wins. Two wins. Good on him. So anyway, so Marge is um, happy that she's about to invest in the pretzel wagon. She's been hooked. Like he's, he's he's got a hook, line, and sinker. Then the investorettes do their big spiel about joining up with Fleet to Peter. Just a big song and dance, and Bart gets involved. And like I said, it just feels like old school Bart. It's naughty, but it's it's not reckless. He's just being yeah. a kid. Your franchise. How much? Five hundred dollars. I'll take it. Congratulations, and welcome to the dynamic world of mobile pretzel retailing. When can I start? What's my territory? Your territory. Well, well, let me tell you. Wherever a young mother is ignorant of what to feed her baby, you'll be there. Wherever nacho penetration is less than total, you'll be there. Wherever a Bavarian is not quite full, you will be there. Don't forget fat people. They can't stop eating. Hey, pretzels. So we come back from commercial, and Marge is watching the Pretzel Wagon intro video. And I mentioned just before the nostalgia of pulling out the VHS and the old TVs with the VHS built into it. They were state of the art. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if I ever had one of those, actually. I never owned I one, but the sco- always schools had always had one. Yeah. But that said, I reckon they were always a bit smaller at the same time. They were. They definitely were. Yeah. Yeah. It was a trade-off that you had to make in the 90s. Maybe because the, um, the VCR element couldn't hold the weight of a big TV because it was always underneath. Mm, possibly. But do you remember back at school when it was movie time, it was always some kid's job to go get the TV from like the library or something and wheel it up? My school, that didn't happen. The teachers would have prepared or they'd have had someone get there, like get it all, all Okay. Ready. Well, back in my school, it was nothing better than being the kid wheeling the TV past the other classrooms and going, hey, hey that's right, I got the TV. <laughs> didn't you go to school in Karai? Uh North Shore Primary, yeah. North Shore, so wouldn't you have wheeled it past the prim- past the other classrooms, past your classroom, past the office, <laughs> past the street, and back to your house? Is that how it worked? <laughs> exactly how it worked. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Where's Dando? I sent him out for the TV three days ago, and I haven't seen him since. You know what I used to do, actually, because I didn't steal TVs, but when the local footy was on, <laughs> we would go down, and we'd wait for him to kick a goal, and like boot a goal. I would run off to get the ball, and just keep running. <laughs> That's how I used to have Sharon's when I was a kid. I would just steal the local footies. <laughs> oh, hello, I'm Frank Ormond. And if you're watching me, that means you've got pretzel fever and not the kind that attacked my intestinal lining some years back. <laughs> so let's get your franchise up and running. <laughs> it's so low budget. And like, I always wonder, like a bit of me always thinks it's kind of unrealistic that videos would be made like this because why would they leave that start in? But it's just so goddamn funny. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the 
that sort of is obviously a joke of the trope of that, that it's always someone who's unexpected. Yeah. The camera is there. I know, I get that, but it's like, why would they leave the the part of them walking to the table in, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, because he's doing it on his own and he doesn't know how to... Understand how to do it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly, yeah. And back in the 1997, 96, editing wasn't as easy as it is now. We can make videos on our phone in five seconds. Yeah, no, it was a nightmare. Did I ever tell you that I, the first short film that I ever did was a school project, but it was a commercial and I was parodying Indiana Jones, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. No. And the way I edited it was that I we filmed it onto like a VHS recorder. I then mm. set up, like I put that, I put the VHS into one video player with all of the raw footage. I connected that video player to a second video player and I just had to work my way through by hitting play on the first one and then record on the second one at the bits that I needed to keep. And that was how I cut together <laughs> a minute and a half of footage. Was that was that by choice or by necessity? That was necessity. That was all I had. Yes, like, yeah. You, as, as it was, like, you needed to have really expensive equipment to be able to properly edit movies back then because it was, you know, VHS and reel-to-reel and all that sort of stuff. I remember, this is going back it must have been mid 90s mid to late 90s i would buy cds and then record the cds to tape so that we could play them in the car because our car didn't have a cd player because mm-hmm. cd players in the car were a big deal in the 90s yeah uh i i agree though we used to take a lot of road trips for holidays driving up to queensland and that sort of thing and yeah when it when we first had cds instead of cassettes it was a big deal it really was kids will never appreciate the beauty of a mixed tape the the, the love that went into a mixed tape well, the effort. Yes, that that's what I mean. The love and effort that required that, that mixtape required, you know. <laughs> yeah, it just insert John Cusack's monologue on from High Fidelity here that the making of a great mixtape, like breaking up, is hard to do and takes heaps longer. You got to kick it off with a killer. Uh, what is it? Then, um, then you got to take it up a notch. You don't want to blow you wide, so then you got to bring it down a notch. There are a lot of rules. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's been a little while since I've watched High Fidelity, so my apologies on stumbling through that slightly. But oh, <laughs> you slightly. I didn't stumble much, just slightly. slightly. I got all the words but, right, but I paused and I shouldn't have. Yes, the uh, I'll cut the pauses out. Don't worry. But now you've acknowledged that they were there in the first place. <laughs> well, we'll have to cut that out too. No, they're saying it. <laughs> the, the tape though, so it's very low budget, but really the signs are all there that this probably wasn't the best investment, aren't they? isn't it? <laughs> like. He clearly is running a business that's not going so well. He's got millipedes in the ingredients. That's a bad sign. Yes. Yeah. That, I must. We haven't quite got to that moment yet, but the, the combination of animation and delivery voice acting from Frank is just time to perfection there. Just the shiver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, um, we overhear the video as we see Marge doing. So he's suggesting things in the video. Marge then goes and does it. So make the office in the garage, uh, mm-hmm. the, the table tennis table. When I saw that, I thought, that's funny. I don't think I've ever seen The Simpsons play table tennis. Cause is there a story out of that that could work? I don't know. Is there? That'd be a pretty... I've, look, probably for Simpsons, they'd come up with something. I don't know that I could come up with half an hour on table tennis. We could try one day. But then we get the uh, the, the phony ticket parade. I forgot how great this was. Welcome back, space girl. <laughs> <laughs> So then uh, Marge's, cow's now, Marge's car is now done up with a giant pretzel. This, for some reason, reminded me of um, of Harry doing his car of like the dogmobile in Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. We then get to the, the power plant. And I just love here that how, like I said earlier, how Homer, he just wants to help throughout this episode. And he sort of goes, what's that? 
oh, it's one of those pretzel wagons the movie stars are always talking about. <laughs> Here at our plant. <laughs> Did you notice in that scene and when they're walking out as well, stamp the ticket guys there? Ah, uh, no, um, but I did notice that Mindy was there. Yes, when Marge was walking over to talk to the investorettes. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I like that they're, just, they're, um, I like that they're thro- like, throwing in characters that they don't have to, but they're just throwing a little bit of detail now, which I really appreciate. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And I reckon there's also an element of it being a um, ease. You don't have to create someone new. Mm-hmm, like true. it's just uh, we've we've got that model there. Throw it in. I think we've mentioned before that. By this point, I think Matt Groening, he wanted to make sure that crowds, as much as possible, were filled with characters and faces that people knew. Because there was just so many characters in the Springfield universe by now, you know? Wow, Mom, look at all those customers! Hair nuts, everyone! Welcome to Pretzel Wagon. May I take your order? Uh, let's see. I'll have one... Hey, hurry up. I want to get my pretzel. One pretzel. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Um, I will have one of your... Uh... Come on, come on, while we're young. Wow. Check out that fan. It looks like it doesn't even need our business. Hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's take a look at Excuse me, I had this spot first. Oh, sorry, dear, just business. <laughs> well, I guess Macy's and Gimbal's learned to live side by side. Gimbal's is gone, Marge. Long gone. You're Gimbal's. Very well. There must be dozens of great locations in this town. Don't you worry about me. Fleet of Peter, just once again, just the investorettes, just bitches stealing Marge's thunder. They cannot help themselves. It's like they're following her no. around. That said, it is the obvious place to go. Is it, though? Well, where else do we know of Springfield that employs bulk people? Mm, that's a good point. But still, and, the, the way they set and, this, the way they set this up, though, you really want them to fail, don't you? <laughs> oh yeah, you do. You, they're just so in your face about it. Yeah, they're very smug. They're very, I guess, you say they're very Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> but what were you going to say before I rudely interrupted? I was just going to say, if you were running a food truck van, the first place that you take it to are like construction sites or, you know places where there are men doing physical work and they're going to be hungry and they're going to eat dodgy food and they're cashed up. It's so, funny, so there was never a food truck at, at Ford, but Ford had its own canteen, so I guess it would defeat the purpose. But at yeah. like Pop Culture, every morning at 10.30, food truck. Yeah, well, you guys are out in the boondocks and there's no real close-by food. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Marge then decides that she has to go find a new location since everyone wants a uh, pita bread wrap as opposed to a pretzel. Speaking of pretzels, when's the last time you ate a pretzel? Uh, two weeks ago. Was it one of the giant pretzels or just your typical out of the pack? Oh, uh, no. So the last time I had a giant, like, German pretzel. pretzel. Yeah. yeah, that would have been uh, Night Jar Markets in Torquay last summer. Okay. I think for me, it was, would have been when I went to the theme parks, like uh, in Movie World in Queensland in February. It's like it's real theme yeah, park okay. food, like a, a giant churro or something, you know? Yeah. There used to be a pretzel. Uh, franchise in Melbourne. Really? I try to think of what this was called. A franchise? Yeah, they did like, they did a lot of sweet pretzels. Do you um, reckon we should start a pretzel wagon? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is, are, pre- are pretzels a popular food? Um, They should be because they're delicious. And I think the pretzel franchises went very well. 
Mr. Pretzels? Is this what it is? No, that's American. But they would have like different icings and different flavors and stuff like that. They were really, really delicious. Okay, cool. Different icings. That's, that's interesting. Uh, outside of that, two weeks ago, I just had like your stock standard bar snack, you know, like instead of potato chips, you'd have pretzels. Just your crunchy pretzels. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So then Marge goes to find a new location with Homer and she discovers Cletus, who tells her to pull over. He wants 300 pretzels. Now, this is one of the more iconic uh, Cletus moments. So basically mm-hmm. what he's done is he's found 300 coupons. He must have cut them out of the newspaper or whatever. And Marge has fallen into the trap of not putting one per customer. And really, she could just refuse him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she could just say no. But, you know, she's, such, a, she's such, yeah. an, such an honest person. She's like, all right, well, I have to. It's my mistake. Hey, kids, we're eating dinner tonight. Come on, Tiffany, Heather, Cody, Dylan, Dermot, Jordan, Taylor, Brittany, Wesley, Rumor, Scout. Cassidy, Zoe, Chloe, Max, Hunter, Kendall, Caitlin, Noah, Sasha, Morgan, Kira, Ian, Lauren, Hubert, Phil. He's been a very busy man, old Cletus, hasn't he? Poor Brandine. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, probably a fair comment there on lower socioeconomic um, tendencies to have larger family. Is it though? Like I, I find that it's not always low economic families that have lots of big families. Sometimes it's it's not always, but redneck families. I, it, like, I mean, it's just a running joke. Oh, of course, saying, yeah, it's actually true. So Marge is feeling down. She feels like she she just feels like a failure. She you know she, the one thing she tried. Like, if she she feels that every time she tries to do something with herself, she just fails. So why bother mm. anyway? You know, and then she she looks at the cat poster and she realizes that cat's dead, and she feels even more sad. But Lisa then suggests a new idea. She's like, you've got to get out there, Mum. You've got to, you've got to get your name out there. You've got to do something different because what you're doing at the moment isn't working. And she suggests the, the handing out pretzels at the free pretzel day at the baseball. Which is... Uh, what I really liked about that, actually, is just how realistic it feels because baseball does have a lot of different theme days and it's the sort of thing that businesses would do to try and get their name out there. Like, it was a really... As, as boring as this sounds, it was just a really legitimate, realistic plot turn. Yeah, that's true. What I liked more, though, was Mr. Burns winning the car and his absolute glee. Yes! Like, he's so happy with himself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This whole scene is just incredible. And the 1997 Pontiac Astro Wagon goes to the fan sitting in seat number 0001C, Montgomery Burns. Yeah! And the fans do not like this one bit. And here come the pretzels. No, no, don't do that. You're supposed to be tasting them. Hall of Famer Whitey Ford now on the field, pleading with the crowd for for some kind of sanity. Uh-oh, and a barrage of pretzels now knocking Whitey unconscious. Wow, this is... Uh... This is a black day for baseball. It reminded, you know what that scene reminds me of? Have you ever seen when Hulk Hogan turned heel in WCW and people threw garbage into the ring? No, no. Okay, so, uh, so Hulk Hogan was the... very the, little. Well, Hulk Hogan Hulk. was... Okay, well, Hulk Hogan was the epitome of, you know, all-American, good guy, every kid's hero looking up to him. And then he joined mm-hmm. this company called WCW in 94 or whatever, and by 96, they made him a bad guy. And that was just like, the, the crowd just wasn't having it. And that is threw all their garbage into the ring and just reminded me of this. Poor Whitey's getting invaded with pretzels. <laughs> but it would have to be, like you said, one of the funniest visuals of, of season eight. 
of Whitey just laying on the ground with pretzels surrounding him. Yes. It would be if a great shirt, the entire actually. show. It'd be a great shirt. Just Whitey laying face down on the front with pretzels all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, the family then try to reassure Marge, don't worry. It'll be fine. Like, it, like you, you, your pretzels are actually famous now. You can call them Whitey Whackers. Like, they're just trying to make her feel better. And then she says the line of, you know, it's, it's, I was wrong to have a dream. That's a heartbreaking line, really. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the, the del- like the delivery, the body language, everything about that's a very sad moment. Yeah, it's it's one of I've got here one of the more heartbreaking moments in the series. I forgot how sad I forgot how sad Marge gets. Yeah, she really takes it to heart mm, for good reason as well. But uh, Homer he can't stand to see his wife like this because yeah. he, <laughs> he was one of the people that suggested she go out and do something with herself, and he says no. Look, I've got to do something about this. So he goes to see Frank, the one guy oh. who can fix this. Before the line from Homer, Marge needs help. God knows I'm not the man to provide it. <laughs> that is great. That's so one he, of the most knowing lines that I think he's ever spoken. He goes to see, uh, goes to see Frank, and we discover that he's dead. And like we dis- discussed earlier, it's very funny. But I just felt like it kind of felt wrong to be laughing at this guy being dead. But man, it was just written so great. <laughs> it's like Mr. Pretzel Man is doing pretty well for himself. I'm here to see Mr. Orman. Of course. Right this way. Oh, I guess I should speak to the executor of his estate. He's right over there. They were in the same car. So then Homer has no alternative. He has to go somewhere else. He turns to, you think, the Reverend, but nope, it is the mob. Yeah, great pullback. It is, for sure. We come back from commercial and Marge gets a phone call in bed early, early hours of the morning. Asking mm-hmm. for 300 pretzels. So she's back in business and Homer's yep. got a little smirk on his face. He's like, okay. Did you pick up where that was being sent to, by the way? I didn't listen, no. Uh, it was to the Meatpackers Union Hall in uh, Batavia, New-, New York. So the city itself is irrelevant, but Meatpackers Union Hall. So clearly, um, mafia ties, it's just straight away. Yes. Like it's, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that you've mentioned that, I do, I do remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we get the uh, the montage. It's just kind of like just a montage of every gangster movie, really. The music, everything. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty sweet montage. Though. It's fantastic. This is a pretzel town. Yes. <laughs> the best part is the poor Girl Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> just getting dropped off at the county line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did notice um, um, when Marge pulls out of the driveway during the montage, uh, the bush, bush house is still across the street. That's quite uh, good. Yeah, okay. yeah. I didn't notice that, but fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the when is it legs or whoever it is that smashes the pizza and the sauce getting sprayed over uh, like it's blood yes. a sort of godfather scene yeah definitely yep 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 then Skinner is held at ransom while he's just you know he's, he's they've bashed his hands they've ruined his fingers and they've got I a believe laser- it was a bolting accident yes they got a laser to his head poor principal Skinner <laughs> I don't understand why they won't unload our falafel fixins ships impounded ma'am yeah we uh, found a couple of barnacles on the hull that and uh, the deck was uh, wet. That's crazy. And what are those men doing under my van? Look, lady, if I was you, I would just leap into the air as I'm preparing to do. It's a great visual, isn't it, of Helen Lovejoy and Chief Wiggins just getting blown off screen. <laughs> then Homer is at Moe's and he's got real money. Yeah. A 50 as well. Like, yeah. Not just small money. Definitely. He goes into the bathroom and Fat Tony's in here. This yep. was my second favorite moment. Fat Tony. And the face I of Fat was... Tony. Like he feels bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love the casual, hey, still with the mafia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I will say good day to you, sir. Okay, I will go. <laughs> he feels so bad. Then gets goes outside and goes. Wait a minute. No, no, I'm the fucking mob boss here, not him. So then, yeah. um, it cuts to uh, Marge out in the the desert. Essentially, I couldn't think of any other word for it. They smash. It's it's kind of uh intimidating, really. Like, it's kind of scary for Marge. She's mm. just she has no because she didn't know she was in business with the mob and now they're just all of a sudden taking her out t-boning her and threatening to kill her essentially yeah like run her off the road uh but then that tension broken very quickly by not being able to get the keys out is uh, there a button or a release for these keys oh you have to push in as you turn uh, yeah that's it who are you we are your business partners and as such we are entitled to a percentage of your profits Something in the area of 100%. What are you talking about? We suggest you have a conversation with your husband. You have 24 hours to give us our money. And to show you we're serious, you have 12 hours. It's kind of unfair. They demand all of her profits. Why would Homer go into business with somebody if Marge was required to give all of her profits back? Is it just yeah. so because all of her competitors would be gone? Like, do, I they just, think- do, they, do they just want 100% of the profits to date or f- ongoing? I it, it comes across as if it's ongoing, but I think traditionally the mafia probably aims at like a sixty to seventy percent. Yeah, of, of course. But yeah, I'm just when I said a hundred percent, I was like, then why would Homer agree to that? Because Marge is working for free. Yeah. Well, they there's every chance that they also just upped it or changed their mind because they got because Homer made Fat Tony feel foolish. Yep, true. Margin goes to confront Homer about it, and he doesn't see an issue with it. He was just trying to help Marge, and still, whilst it was a silly thing to do. You can understand. He was just trying to help his wife. Mm. You can't really hate him for it. And she, I can see why she'd be angry at him for it, but she can't hate him either because he had he had good intentions. He had the right sort of things in mind when he was thinking of going to get the mob to help her, really. Um, Marge then goes, to, she, she says, I'm going to do what I do every morning and going to make pretzels. And this is where I just sort of got, a, uh, the episode got a little bit lost for me. I was like, why? Who's she making pretzels for? Because like, I don't... Like, I don't- Presumably people have still made orders. Just because the mafia have... Like well, purely because the mafia have run out everyone out of town, there she obviously still has a clientele now that need her pretzels. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And there's a knock at the door. I had that That's dream really nice- again. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I really like the tension as they're waiting on six o'clock to come. Oh yeah, it like is good. Homer just breaking off a bit of pretzel to eat, just yes. out of you know panic more than anything. And the the, the, the music, uh, the score, and everything. Yeah, then we get Grandpa at the door. Come back, knock again. I told you, and then it's the mobsters. They're a little, I like that he apologizes for being late, but he's only just late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they Marge still refuses, even though they ask for the money, but we get the classic Fat Tony line. Sorry we're late. Could we have the money now? The answer is no. I'm afraid I must insist. You see, my wife, she has been most vocal on the subject of the pretzel monies. Where's the money? When are you going to get the money? Why aren't you getting the money now? And so on. So please, the money. You heard her. She said no. Legs, Louie, advance on them. So basically Marge is just refusing. She's got guts, but man, this is not a smart thing to do. Just give them the money. Like if a mob, if, uh, if, if you found out that Ash did something for you to help, for example, photography business or something to take out all your competitors mm. and they said we want all the money, would you say No. Or would you say, yes, sir, how much would you like? <laughs> what i do, Dando, is I'd walk up to them, get about six inches away from their face, and then bam! <laughs> Three-piece feed. <laughs> <laughs> and then four of them come from behind you and go, bam, 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 and no more Mitch. 
yeah, well, but I still have my money. Yes, that is true. <laughs> uh, Fleet of Peter then decide to arrive. There they are, and they've got the Yakuza. And I'll kill you five times before mm. you hit the ground. I liked that it was pronounced oh, uh, Yakuza instead of Yakuza. Yep. Because I'm led to believe, as much as the internet goes back and forth on this, I'm led to believe that Yakuza is... Well, actually, any time I've ever heard a Asian man say Yakuza, that's the way they say it. Whereas it okay. gets Americanized to Good. Yakuza. It's kind of absurd that they'd be able to get the Japanese mafia, but by this point, who cares? <laughs> it's just it's just funny. Um, yeah. They start they start fighting. The best part though is Homer waiting for the guy who's done nothing, but you, when he does, you know it's going to be good. <laughs> and then the second they go inside, you just hear it go off. <laughs> Getting thrown through the window is pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> uh, just forgiveness, please. Forgiveness, please. <laughs> But just before that moment, it's a, it's a great way to end the episode. It just ends on a laugh. But just before that, Marge forgives Homer. She says, it's okay. It's just their way of wrapping everything up into a neat little package before they send us off with a laugh. So overall, this episode has a bit of everything. It's really great. If you haven't gone back and watched it, do so immediately because it's really, really funny. So many one-liners, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, like, There's a reason that I was this, uh, that I was very excited to watch it. It's just a fantastic fantastic fun episode it's just a fun story really what did we learn palmer so what did you learn from the episode mitchell uh, i learned that millipedes like pretzels just as much as everyone else but they go for more of the deconstructed pre-made variety that is true i learned that agnes means lamb lamb of god all <laughs> righty time for the mailbag now mitch last week's mailbag was a bit of a, a bit of a failure but that was purely due to technology so I'm hoping this week you're going to make up for it and make up for the lack of technology last week and have a really good mailbag for us. What have you got? Nah, nothing. Nothing? <laughs> Come on. Nah, what have you got? <laughs> All right. Uh, Kelly Trokanowski writes in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we we mentioned Kelly a couple of weeks back. She's the girl from Joycey. Uh, Joycey. Joycey. Um, she had an uh, unwell grandmother, but apparently still doing well. So That's good. Uh, good to hear. Which is excellent to hear. Mm-hmm. She had some really cool trivia, actually, but... Uh, this is tying into my constant references to Shakespeare in recent times with the alternate titles and everyone's love of Space Jam. She was listening to an interview with Bob Bergen, who's the current voice of Porky Pig, and played the voice of Porky in Space Jam. Hmm. He said that in that interview, when they were auditioning voice actors for the roles of Looney Tunes characters for the movie, instead of having them read classic catchphrases or lines from the script, each person who auditioned had to perform a Shakespearean monologue in the voice of a Looney Tunes character. That way, the casting team would know for certain that the actors could handle the script for the film. That's a really good technique. I know Mm. Billy West did Bugs Bunny in that film, I believe. Uh, He did, yeah. I think that is a really cool thing to... Particularly when you're trying to cast people to play characters that have existed for such a long time. It's a good way to avoid getting someone that can only do an impersonation of a character. Good point, yeah. yeah. When you make them read something that's so far removed from what they normally do then you know that they can embody it and make it their own thing definitely so anyway got kelly thinking about simpsons moments like the raven where dan stays completely in character while reciting the entire poem Uh, or not the entire poem but when he starts reciting the poem as homer in terms of shakespeare are there any simpsons characters where you would love to see them perform a specific monologue from one of his plays she personally thinks it would be fun to hear Bart perform as Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream or Principal Skinner perform the To Be or Not To Be speech from Hamlet. 
but would love to hear our thoughts on the question. Well, the obvious one would be Sideshow Bob, because Kelsey Grummer would be fantastic at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Definitely not someone, oh, with, not, not someone with a voice that you get sick of, like Otto or Nelson. Who, who well, are you I was say? thinking the obvious one is Milhouse doing the kind of unrequited love uh, bit from Romeo and Juliet yeah. about what, what light from yonder window breaks. I'm surprised that The Simpsons, they might, they might have in later years, but haven't done a, a Romeo and Juliet parody. I'm sure they have. I'm sure there's a listener out there right now going, they have, you fucking idiot. But, <laughs> but who, who would, who, who, if they're going to do like a, a basic, you know, normal Romeo and Juliet takeoff, do you think Milhouse and Lisa would be the two characters to go to? Yeah, I reckon it would be. I'm not sure. I would no, like to see it that Le- way. Lisa is never in love with Milhouse though, you know? No, but she could be for an episode. That's true, yeah, I guess. Like particularly if they're only inserting them in as a parody. I reckon I would really like to see Mayor Quimby do the Is this a dagger which I see before me speech from Macbeth? That, yeah. yeah. Is this a dagger I see before me? To The handle toward my hand. Come, let me clutch, clutch thee. <laughs> Gary writes in. Gary who? Just Gary? Dunno. Gary. Just Gaza. <laughs> He only says Gary, but he's from the UK. Okay. Uh, originally from Angus in Scotland, now living just side, outside Edinburgh. Been listening for a few months. Firstly, he would like to show that, say that the show is fantastic. I like it whenever the emails start that way. So, thank you very much. And thank he's you. become a patron oh, in thanks, that man. short time. Oh, I, question, now I know Gary. Gaz. Gazza. Continue. <laughs> His question is, which character from The Simpsons do you think would fit perfectly into another TV show? So, not as a guest mm. character, but... As if they were never in The Simpsons, but they were the same character in another show. So, he's saying that he would love to see Reverend Lovejoy in Father Ted, which is actually... Yeah. That would be pretty perfect. Yeah, definitely. What, what about... Um, was it another, oh, Vicar of Dibley is another show which from the UK, which is fantastic. But yeah, Reverend Lovejoy, that definitely would work. <laughs> is it for, fantastic? The Vicar of Dibley? I used, to, I used to really enjoy it when I was younger. I haven't watched it for a long okay. time, but I used to really enjoy it. Yeah. Fair enough. If we... Okay, so now I'm stuck on British shows, so I'd think that Mo would fit in perfectly to Black Books. Mm, uh, yeah. It just, like, you'd have to add in a scene, but that would be where Bernard Black would go to drink, just at Mo's bar. They'd both be the most cantankerous people in the world. I think Agnes would fit in well to Keeping Up Appearances as, like, the rough, snipey neighbour across the street from the bouquets. <laughs> yes, yeah. What about uh, Skinner? Would he be good as playing the lead role in Faulty Towers? Um, well, it's got to be. Le- he's Le- got to be fitting in alongside the existing characters. Oh, so he's okay. I thought you meant Reverend. Okay, so it's not replacing somebody; it's just getting slotted in. All right, no, just um, putting them in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay, so I okay. was actually thinking for Skinner that he could be in the West Wing as like the Republican whip. Because mm-hmm. Aaron Sorkin always likes the Republicans to fail. So, Skinner would be a good guy to have that would be full of pomp and, you know, like a lot of grandeur, but also the the pratfall guy that Bradley Whitford, Josh Lyman would always, you know, get one over. You could slot one of the uh, the bullies into the, the Sopranos who becomes friends with Tony Soprano's son. And son. Because Tony, yep. Soprano's, Tony Soprano's son's always an embarrassment to him, Tony Soprano actually clings onto one of the bullies and takes him under his wing as his new son and makes the new son makes his real son jealous and then his real son kills the bully. <laughs> There's a story I <laughs> Uh who else? Uh this is actually a fun game. Um patrons or listeners, <laughs> write in with your own suggestions. Because I could I could keep doing this for yes. another hour, I reckon. Oh um, we'll, we'll make that a Patreon exclusive podcast then, eh? <laughs> 
Yeah, okay. One more. Let, let, let's just do one last one. Yeah. but Give me a okay. character or I'll give you the TV show they should fit into. A character, I'm going to go with Lenny. Lenny, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, he'd definitely slide into one of those shows. Maybe even like a community. Yeah, yeah. Could be in there pretty comfortably as well. Uh, or Drew Carey show. Oh, no, he would have been a really like good his, yeah. extra friend. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Him yeah. and Oswald would be best pals. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, there you go. I'm looking forward to doing more of that. <laughs> yeah. And Gary, that is an excellent question. Well done. Yes. Like, th- that's... We should really have our that out of listener park. of the week. No, I don't want to turn it into a competition. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> I love you all equally. It's like having my favorite, you know, favorite child of the week. Like, you can't do that. Yeah, that's- exactly. So, uh, what uh, else have we got in the mailbag this week? It looks, it's looking pretty full. It is, um, at the moment, Grant Smith, uh, with the Simpsons quote that he uses in real life, he hopes mm-hmm. that this isn't happening. Uh, sorry, he hopes that it's not just him that this is happening to, but as he gets older, it feels like he's shrinking. And people have commented on it, mainly his niece and nephew who are getting taller by the day. Uh, the quote comes from Season 7, Episode 2, Radioactive Man. Uh, the quote's from Grandpa Simpson. Uh, so it's just that, oh, I'm as tall as I ever was, is the reply yes. that you'll often give. I like the fact that we've got listeners that are old enough to be shrinking. I know. How old is this guy? <laughs> no, when, when you said that, my immediate thought was we had like an old person listening to us. <laughs> just from his retirement home. Just rock, still on his rocking chair. A, Keep we it still down have out at there. least one father that listens to this. Uh, not mine, if anyone not was yours. following <laughs> last week. That's clear. <laughs> but, no, um, Greg, uh, my friend's. My friend Jen's father is still listening, I believe. Okay, cool. So, he knows your father, does he? I hope not. <laughs> serious. Actually, one of dad's... Oh, no. Oh, no. It's just occurred to me that someone that dad works with does listen. And not only did you hang shit on your dad, but you hung shit on your siblings. You said only one of them you like. Yeah, but I didn't say which one, so that's fine. <laughs> I mean, that's worse, though. <laughs> no, it's like Russian roulette, you know. There's, there's four chambers and one one of them is the victor. You're just lucky I cut out all that shit you said about your mum. Now, don't, don't <laughs> mess around with that because that will come back to me. Continue. Uh, Mark Trelevin writes in, just wanting to put in some comments on our disagreement over Ned returning to normal after the Hurricane Nettie episode. Oh, yeah. uh, so, if Ned's diddly doing... Uh, is a cause of him repressing his anger and it's the only way that he can display it. Why in Lisa the Vegetarian only last season when he was having a barbecue, the entire family also diddlied in their speech as well? That's actually a pretty good point. Yeah, that is true. Um, So it's either a natural trait for the Flanders male bloodline or all the Flanders males have snapped and undergone the same spanking treatment. I like that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Or the person that wrote that episode just felt like creating their own arc for the character. That didn't exist outside yep. that episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got his name. He, he's actually included a pronunciation guide for his name at the end. It's Tree Levin, not Trelevin. Oh, Tree Levin. Okay. Is it Tree Levin yeah. or Tree Levin? Tree Levin. Tree Levin. Okay. All right. Let's do one more question and then we'll get into our interview with Joe Montagna, shall we? Yep. I'll try to find one as I scroll past all of the other emails of people telling us how wrong we were or how we'd missed out on the Dick Tracy joke. Oh, man, did we cop some fucking emails about that? Holy <laughs> jeebus. All helpful. So oh, yeah, you. yeah, yeah. That was great. But it's like once you read the first one, you're like, oh, yeah, how did I miss that? And then you get 50 more and you're like, oh, we, we need like a, a an app where we can send our notification to our listeners saying, we now know, don't need to tell us. We should do that. Why don't we get a four-finger discount app? 
Yeah, I was thinking that. And I think the main answer is because of copyright, it'd be very difficult to get by. And Like, money. typically with an app, <laughs> if it becomes popular, you make money. And if we start making money off memes, then we're in trouble. How do, how do we make money, though? Well, we only make money if we choose to try and make money from it. Yeah, but what's the point of making the app if we're not going to make money from so, it? So, uh, we can com- connect with our listeners instantaneously. But we can do that through Facebook. Not everyone sees our post, Mitch. But we can't... On, on, but... But if they are patrons through the Four Finger Discount exclusive group, that's where you get the real juice. So that's what I mean. And they're the only people I want to connect with. <laughs> He's not telling the truth, people. He's not telling the truth. But if you are a $2 plus patient, you do get access into that group. And it's just a way of just having direct communication with both Mitch and myself. We're in there every day. And it's not just us. It's all the other listeners, all the other patients. They, they, Nick Origi's, is, how do you say it? Is it Origi? Is that his last name? Uh, Arigi, Nick Arigi, yeah. He has just taken the reins of that group and his memes about the show are fantastic. They are tremendous and thank you very much for that, yeah. Nick. They're, uh, they're always very enjoyable. It actually prompted my wife to join the page and she's just been spending a lot of time scrolling through. Hey, 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 uh, hey, hey. A lot is, of... she, is she a $2 plus patron? Huh? <laughs> no, but she sacrifices many hours to this show to be able to go into work. So, we, uh, we gifted her access. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, what was the question you found? Did you find one? She's been on the show a couple of times. Oh, yeah. Our, 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 our wives have sacrificed more than what we have. <laughs> I was going to say, is Guy Davis a patron? Because I know he's in the page. Guy Davis is a patron. Oh, really? Yes. Ah, props to you, Guy. So, Guy pays us to be on our show. That's how much of a duty he is. Yeah, what a champion. I bumped into him in the street the other day. It was most enjoyable. I was, he was saying he had the other day he had a shit day and he couldn't quite pinpoint why. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> It had been really good up until 5.15. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, question, what do we got? I don't know. I've been reading emails and I'm getting a lot of messages, but I'm not getting a lot of questions. Well, no, I won't end it on a question. I'll end it just on a message, if that'll accept you. Uh, If if you will accept that, I mean. I will. This comes from Alexander Cato. Been listening to the podcast for about a year. Whenever you guys talk about AFL, admit I have no idea what you were talking about. Since I always thought that um, football is in the name, I thought it was soccer. I'm Canadian, so we're a bit slow, eh? Anyways, I'm emailing you because I got home from work, turned on the TV, where I usually go to the sports channels, and lo and behold, West Coast versus Melbourne was on sports channel called TSN3. The first thing I thought uh, was, hey, Mitch and Dando will talk about this, uh, or talk about this all the time. Startup watching was thoroughly entertained. I have no idea what was going on, but I was into it. Just wanted to share this with you guys. He took a photo of the screen to prove it as that, well. That was a um, terrible game of football as well. It was a terrible game of football. So, if you were entertained by that, then at least it was high scoring from one end. One team. <laughs> uh, yeah, one team. One team scored well. Uh, he wishes that sports teams in North America had their own anthems like the Eagles do. That's not, uh, Alexander, he's not the first you know person that. to write in and say that because another person watched football and said that they couldn't. They loved the theme song. I think it was Fremantle they were even talking about. So, uh, yeah, this was a Twitter thread. Um, yeah, do they not have the theme songs for American sports? Uh, no, colleges have marching bands. Why don't UFC wrestlers have in, uh, theme music? I'm pretty sure basketball has theme songs, don't they? Um, no. No, they have intro songs, but it's not like they sing team songs in success. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Alrighty, well, let's wrap this one up, Mitch, and we'll get into our Joe Montani interview. I have to go look after my little dude. I can hear him out there. He's not too happy. That's, uh, that's no good. My, uh, Ash is also, my Ash, Ash is also messaging me, and she equally is not happy, so it's time for me to stop talking into the microphone. 
Alrighty, guys. Thanks for listening to our review of The Twisted World of Marge Simpson. Next week, we're going to be talking about Mountain of Madness. Another fantastic episode. Can't wait for that. Please just... Uh, yeah, well, go, we go, spoke go. about that last week, I think. Yeah, that, that's going to be... Oh, it's been a lot. It, it's an underrated episode. I'm really looking forward to cracking into it. 100%. Uh, please make sure, if you enjoy the show, make sure if you can jump onto the iTunes store, the Apple Podcast store, and give us a five-star rating and a good review. would really appreciate that. If you want access, the best way to support the show is becoming a patron. And by doing so, not only do you support the show and help us buy new equipment and whatnot, you also get access to a bunch of exclusive podcasts. We've mentioned it time and time before. You've got the Futurama podcast. You've got Movie Guys podcast. You get access into prize draws. You get access into the exclusive Facebook group. So much content on there just for as little as $2 plus per month. It really is the best way to support the show. But for now, Mitch, any final words for the listeners? Well, this is a black day for podcasts. Hey, this is Joe Montaigne, and you're listening to Four Finger Discount. Welcome to Four Finger Discount, and today we are very lucky to be joined by a man whose career spans almost 50 years in the entertainment business. Beginning as a stage performer in 1969, he won his first Tony Award after 15 years for his performance in Glengarry Glen Ross. From there, he transitioned to movies, including classics such as The Three Amigos and Godfather 3. He's now the star of the hit crime series Criminal Minds. However, of course, we all know him as the voice of Fat Tony. He is, of course, Joe Montaigne. Joe, thanks for your time, mate. How are you doing? I'm terrific. Thank you very much. How's your day been? What's a typical day for Joe Montaigne these days? Just Criminal Minds or...? Well, you actually, we just started our hiatus from Criminal Minds just last week. Yep. So, in other words, we, we normally take about nine months to shoot a season, and we just wrapped last week for our season 11. Okay. And now I have three months off of Criminal Minds, uh, and I'll probably go back sometime in early July. You, you seem to have a, a knack for just picking shows that had longevity. Well, I mean, it's I've been very fortunate, especially certainly with Criminal Minds, to have something that has that those kinds of kind of legs, you know, that, that kind of longevity. But because uh, my business, as you know, show business, it's all over the place. There's no guarantees, but certainly between Criminal Minds and Simpsons, I was lucky enough to have two programs that obviously have a lot of longevity. Just worked out that way. But I've certainly I've been I've been doing this professionally for over 40 years, and so I've been a lot of temporary jobs and jobs that have ran a lot shorter than that but uh, but uh, right now I've been uh, very fortunate to have these those two things with a lot of consistency Joe it's Mitch here I uh, am just going to point out I've listened to a few interviews in the research leading up to talking to you today and that seems to be a pretty common theme of you talking about being lucky and being very fortunate but I would argue that when you've had a 40-year career that there's a little bit more going on than that well, yeah, thank you. I mean, I do think, yeah, I, I certainly don't attribute it all to luck, but I feel I do feel blessed in the sense that I've had a very varied career and a successful career, and and I've worked hard at it, and and uh, I like certainly think I, I I've you know belong there. In other words, there comes a point where you start to you have enough confidence that you say to yourself, no, I, I think I belong in this game, and I'm and uh, as to where it takes me, there's just no guarantees. But but still, there's a there's a degree of, you know, sometimes even being in the right place at the right time helps, and 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 just uh, you try to conduct your life in such a way that you, you create your own good luck in in some ways as well. You know, if you kind of keep your mind on on the job and try to keep a good attitude and try to do as best you can and and treat people as as you hope they treat you. Well, you've described your Tony Award as winning the lottery. However, you bought a lot of tickets. Now, entertainment, it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog industry. What realistic goals did you set for yourself when you were first starting out? Well, you know, I, 
I, I knew I wanted to be an actor at a fairly young age. I was, I, I was not exposed to it as a child, and I was not brought up in a show business family. So there was no real reason for me to turn to this profession logically. Yeah. But I was exposed to it in high school, and when I first I auditioned for a play basically on a, on a dare. And when I did it, I didn't get cast in the play, but I was so excited and entranced by the process of auditioning. It just seemed like such an exciting world and exciting occupation. That from that moment on, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was 16 years old. So it was a steady kind of journey from that point to today. I mean, I'm talking now over 50 years. Because I'll be 69 in November. Mm. And, uh, and so for over 50 years now, I, I've been pursuing the same thing, but with, with, with and I get, in a way, maybe that's why I, I feel I'm lucky, because not everybody knows at an early age what their life's goal is or what they want to do. So when you ask the question, what was my plan? My only plan was to participate. In other words, I, I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to hopefully work at the highest level I could which is I've been able to do. In other words, and I think that was one of the things, like you say, when I won the Tony Award, that was a comment I made when they said, what's it like to win the Tony Award? And I said, it's like winning the lottery, but I bought a lot of tickets. And by that, I meant I had already worked professionally about 15 years prior to that. And so I put in the time. I paid. I thought I've paid an amount of dues. Not And not saying that everybody who does that gets that kind of success, but... It, that's the way it kind of worked for me, and, and, and it progressed from there. So my, my plan, I've never been a real planner in the sense that I always had specific projects in mind or roles that I wanted to play, but I always enjoyed what I was doing and always liked the adventure of not knowing what was coming next. Like, I never knew until the day before I got a job I was even going to get that job. I mean, like, you're talking about The Simpsons, I mean... Uh, one day I get a phone call saying, would you like to do this voice of this character? And I hardly even knew what the show was. And the next thing I know, I've been working on it for 25 years. <laughs> so uh, that's part of the excitement of my business is the unknown. Like you never, before I got the call for Criminal Minds, I didn't know that uh, I would be doing that for the next nine seasons of it myself. So that's nine years of my life that the day before I got that phone call, I had no idea I would be doing it. So. There's a, there's a degree of excitement in that, and, and that's the nature of my business, and I've always kind of enjoyed that. It's scary sometimes early on, because you never know if you're, you know, there's no guarantees you're going to work. But when it happens, it's, uh, it's, it's like I say, it's been, it's been good for me. There's a really kind of inspiration, inspirational takeout in what you just said there for anyone that's wanting to get into acting in that, you know, if your first audition doesn't go your way, don't walk away from it. And I think the fact that, as you said, that you were excited by the way that worked obviously means that you were just built for it and, and built to have this career. As far as not knowing where the next roles come from, would you be able to, if you don't mind, it's, it'd be repeating a story that you've told, but could you just quickly share the tale of meeting David Mamet and, and how that kind of launched you into the stratosphere, yeah, unbeknownst sure. to you at the time? Yeah, again, well, again, that, again, that's that's another instance in a way where, well, not luck, but just just uh, happenstance works in your favor. And by that I mean, here I was an actor in Chicago, you know, struggling and struggling actor. In other words, struggling in the sense that I'm still trying to. I was working at a, a, 
a local theater company called the Organic Theater. This was in the early 70s. And, uh, but I was, you know, I was starting to be a little well-known in the Chicago area, but that's all. It's just a local actor. And David Mamet happened to be a local writer doing the same thing, trying to make his way as a, as a talented writer. So it was one of those things where literally I remember we, we met on the steps of the Goodman School of Drama where I happened to go to school a few years prior. And I was there, to, I think, probably to visit a teacher or some whatever reason I was there. And he was there, I think, trying to peddle one of his scripts, trying to get them interested in producing perhaps one of his new plays. And he, But he was still very unknown. And we ran into each other on the staircase. I remember this specifically. And he stopped me. And I didn't know who he was. And he said to me, Apparently he had seen one of the plays I had just done with this theater company. And uh, he came up to me and said, I know who you are. I saw your, this play, and I think you're very good. And I, I think, uh, you know, I would love to be able to, I'm a playwright. I would love to be able to work with you sometime. And I said, oh, well, that's great. You know, nice to meet you, and I hope it works out. And I thought and I made, I thought nothing more of it. I just thought, well, you know, you run into people in the city, and he was going to be part of the theater community maybe we would cross paths again maybe we wouldn't and as it turned out we did cross paths quite a few times in other words he he, he came to our theater company with one of his plays which was sexual perversity in chicago and we wound up doing the original production of that ironically i didn't do it because i had already been contracted to do a summertime job at the time as an understudy for the play called lenny which was a big broadway play hmm. so i did that instead thinking, well, we'll work with him another time. And, of course, I wound up doing that. Thank God he didn't forget about me, and so I did then the premiere of his play, A Life in the Theater. Now, these were all still very small productions in Chicago. But all of this connection with him and him seeming to like what I was doing and, and I seeming to have a kind of a giving him what he, what he wanted, in other words, his interpretation of his, of his work, I seem to fit his prototype of what he was looking for as an actor. That led to, you know, the offer to do Glengarry Glenn Ross. And by that time, he was starting to get pretty well known. He had already done American Buffalo on Broadway. And so he was starting to get a reputation. So when when Glengarry Glenn Ross happened, thank God, the producers agreed with him when he... Because I think they initially went to Al Pacino and Robert De Niro both to do the role of Ricky Roma on Broadway. And for, they were both very busy as movie stars at the time and, and turned down the role. And thank God David kind of then insisted. He said, look, I'm not going to go through all these other kind of secondary movie stars. Uh, I'd rather choose somebody I want to play the role, which was me. So I got to then do the play. And the rest became very life-changing for me because not only did I win the Tony Award for the role, but the play won the Pulitzer Prize that year. And so it got a lot of attention, and it certainly changed my life because it was that that year, 1984, that my career took an incredible change of position. In other words, from the first 15 years I'd been working since '69 as a professional actor to then, now it put me in a whole other category, and, and my career eventually, you know, took off from that point much to a much higher level. Yeah, yeah. And it was all. You know, it's all paying your dues, though. It's all due to the fact that I had made, made this relationship with David for so many years. Yeah, that's true. Now, I've also heard that whenever you talk to us Aussies, we always seem to only ever want to talk about Fat Tony. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I, what I felt was, I've been to Australia. You know, I did a miniseries yeah. there. I did The Starter Wife. And so that was my time there with my family, which I loved just 
immensely. I mean, I just loved Australia. I loved everything about it. But I, I did, yes, I did, when I would do interviews for Starter Wife while I was there, I, I could tell that very often the conversation would go to The Simpsons, yeah. which made me realize that The Simpsons was a very popular show in Australia. And I, and I got it. I mean, I get it because it's, that it's the same phenomenon I find in Canada. Uh, the reason, in a way, being is, you know, you probably don't get all the programs we have here in the States, but the ones you do get and that you do enjoy, you tend to embrace, you know, mm. which I, I love. And so it seemed to me that The Simpsons seemed to have a very strong popularity in Australia, as it does in the United States, as it does in Canada, and as it does probably elsewhere. So I, I, I found that amusing. I thought, well, that's great. Fat Tony seems to have resonated with the <laughs> folks down under here. And so uh, so I was more than happy to oblige and to talk about that character because it's, it's certainly my longest-running character in my career. I feel like a part of why that might resonate so much down here in Australia is that we don't have that same kind of uh, mob background. Like, obviously, we've got a, you know... Every country has a little bit of a criminal underworld, but I think a lot of people in entertainment, particularly in this country, have always looked to, you know, your Godfather type figures or your films like Goodfellas, Casino, and, and Fat Tony kind of fits in that groove. Right. Being from Chicago, is that something that's a little bit more, I guess, connected to, not to your personality, you're one of the sweetest people that we've ever spoken to, but, um, <laughs> but is it easy for you guys to be able to tap into that as an actor? Yes, I think it absolutely is. I mean, first of all, I am from not only Chicago, but I mean, I, 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 most of my young adult life, I grew up in Cicero, Illinois, which is a suburb just outside Chicago, and that's very famous for Al Capone and, mm-hmm. and for gangland activities back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, of course, I grew up there a lot later, but it still certainly had that reputation. And and there and, and I couldn't help but you do rub shoulders with those people. I mean, organ, that kind of organized crime did exist at that time, and I was well aware of it, and I knew a lot of those people. Uh, and I'm being of Sicilian and Italian descent myself. I mean, you couldn't help but somehow be touched by it or, or aware of it, or you know. And so, yes, I certainly had opportunity to draw on real life people and situations and occurrences that I could say to myself, "Yeah, I." I it's, let, let me put it this way: It's much easier for me to play a character like Fat Tony than maybe to play a Swedish sea captain or something <laughs> like that, which would be a bigger stretch for me. Uh, so yeah, I was when I first read the Fat Tony stuff. I mean, I, I, and also you, you have to understand, and it probably makes sense. They offered me that role right when Godfather Three yeah. came out, yeah. and probably for that reason, because they knew I would be coming out as playing the basically the heavy in the third Godfather installment, and so it seemed the natural to use that actor to play Fat Tony. I was just thrilled that I thought it was just going to be one episode and that would be that. Little did I know that the character would resonate and that I would wind up doing as many episodes as I've done and still continue to do. On that, how much of the characterization did you bring to the table and how much of it was already written down on the page or a direction that you were given for that role? Well, they don't really give you much direction, in other words, but what the, what, what they do give you, are, as, as is often the case, are the words, I mean, which is no different than most good writing. So in other words, as an actor, it's your job to find the character within that dialogue, within the, the, the words they give you. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, I had of course, the image of the name, Fat Tony. So, I, I, so right away I thought to myself, well, the guy's going to be fat. I guess I can assume that. <laughs> I, I, since it was the first time it was appearing, I didn't know what it was, was going to look like. 
did we do record the voices you know way ahead of the animation yeah so i'd like i, I imagine when i first did the very first one they hadn't animated the, the figure yet so i wasn't sure what it was going to look like but in terms of the voice what i decided to use is i basically tapped on the the, the voice of one of my dearest uncles who just passed away a couple of years ago he lived to be 92 but i had this uncle uncle willie his name is and he was a world war ii veteran and he was the kind of guy that actually knew a lot of those kinds of characters in his life i mean that was just willie I mean, he was nothing, he was no gangster at all, but he certainly knew those kinds of guys hmm. growing up, the kind of life he lived as a young man. And Willie had the, uh, he had stopped smoking like 20 years you know, prior, but still, and part of the reason is because he'd got some sort of like cancer of his you know, throat. And they took out one of his vocal cords. So he talked like this. I mean, <laughs> this is the way he talked. So I always thought that was kind of amusing coming from him and so I just said let me try using an Uncle Willie voice for this guy <laughs> so pretty soon it became this you know I don't get mad I get stabby I, mean, that, I just decided to try it uh, you know rather than use my own voice because partly too because Godfather had just come out the movie I didn't want it to sound like Joey Zaza mm, you yeah. know what I'm saying I didn't want to use my own voice because I thought, well, they're going to say, oh, there's Joey Zaza from Godfather 3. And then I thought, you know, I, I want him to be different. I want him to, let's make Fat Tony somebody else. But again, I didn't realize I would be doing it for the next 25 years. But, but I, and one time I brought Uncle Willie with me to a recording session. Cause he lived in Chicago, but when, once he was out in L.A. and I was doing a Simpsons and I brought him along. And I said, I, and I told the writers who were there, the producers, I said, I want you to meet the guy, the real Fat Tony. And of course, as soon as he said, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. They were all, they all started laughing. He said, oh, my God. You know, now we know we can, who we can use if Joe's not here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that, that was the, uh, that's where Fat Tony came from. Well, you said the original recording, it felt like you were recording in a basement at, on the Fox lot. Describe the, yeah. the the vibe of being in the room of all that talent right in the show's infancy, and how does it compare to how the things are done now? Well, yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, here, because you have to remember, this was, I think, the beginning of their third season. Yeah. And so they, they knew, I think, that there was it was going to, you know, they had a degree of success, but they still, they would record in, they had made this makeshift recording studio down in the basement over at the, the Fox Loft, yeah, 20th Century Fox. And I remember they had, they just had the microphone set up in a circle in this room, and then they had a ping pong table there <laughs> for to kind of do it during the breaks and stuff. But it was no, you know, that was it. I mean, it was very low profile no frills, just, you know, we're, we don't know how long we're going to be doing this. Yeah. So they stick up in the corner and that's that. Well, now you go to Fox, they have their own building. I mean, they have the, you know, they have the March Simpson sound stages. They, they have, they have their murals painted on walls. I mean, all of us 25 years later, of course, they achieved a, a different whole kinds of status. And now, uh, you do the read through. They, 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 you go to this room and they have. That's actually more exciting than the recording because they, they do a read through. Yeah. And what you do is you go into this big room and everybody sits around this big table and all the actors are there, and then they invite guests who sit around the room, and it's it's, it's an exciting hour to, to sit in that room because you get to sit there and meet everybody, and then the half hour we 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 read through the read through, you you get to see the actors actually read the characters. 
uh, and there have been occasions when some of the actors had to be out of town for the reading and they would put a speaker in the middle of the table and they would do it by telephone and just do, do their voices through the speaker. So that's that's become an exciting, that's, that's one of the hottest tickets in town to go to a Simpsons read-through. Mm-hmm. And as for the recording, in the old days, I mean, everybody was there all the time and you did the whole thing all in know, like one day and everybody did your part, you did your parts, you, you did, took as long as you needed to take. Now it's changed somewhat. I mean, these actors have been doing it for so long. They, we come in, like sometimes when I come in to do my stuff, there's nobody else there. Okay. You, know, you know, they just need my, my stuff. But other times I'm there with one or two or on occasion, even everybody. So it just depends on the, how it goes, but I'm not a regular. And so they don't expect me to have to. You know, they have to work around my schedule sometimes, but yeah. that's fine. Well, th- three days a year is a pretty good gig, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's been great. And like I say, I don't do, I'm nowhere near in the, you know, salary category of them. I mean, for <laughs> me, I still, I'm probably still making the same thing I made when I did my very first one, but it, for me, it's not, this is not what I do for a living. Simpsons is, is, is just kind of a fun thing I do. Because they know that when they write for Fat Tony, I want to play the character. I don't want them to get somebody else that sounds like me. And yeah. like, as long as they write the character, I'm glad to do Because I only do one or two a season anyway. And so it's just, it's a lot of fun. And when I go up to Universal, they have like this whole Simpsons, you know, area up there. There's a, one of the restaurants, they have a couple dishes, the Fat Tony spaghetti and meatballs and mm. this and that. And also I did, I did a, I was think I think Tom Hanks and I might have been the only actors that they used in the movie, the feature yeah, the film yeah. uh, outside of the regulars, you know. And then they have a Fat Tony doll and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of flattered that that character has taken on such importance to The Simpsons. So it's like I said, it's, it, to me, it's, it's about just doing a character and I never looked at it as like this is one of my jobs. This is more fun for me. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind, we threw a call out to some of our listeners uh, to ask some questions earlier this uh-huh. morning before starting. So it would be remiss of me to ignore them as we're getting towards the end <laughs> sure. of your scheduled time today. So Katie Long has sent one in. Now, listeners of the show will know that Katie's been a long-time fan. She was just wondering if you do happen to have a favourite Fat Tony memory, so either the funniest line or it was has there ever been anything that's really resonated to yourself? Oh, right, yeah. Um, God, you know, they're, they're all, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed all of the, the whole ride. I mean, that's for, without question. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the first one, of course, has special meaning to me because it was the first one and also because in that one, I appear as myself. And, and apparently that's only been done a few times yeah. on The Simpsons. In other words, at the end of the episode, you see where Joe Montana plays that Tony. Yeah, yeah, and, alongside and Neil they, Patrick Harris. <laughs> And Neil Patrick Harris is, you know, the Doogie Howser plays yeah. host, Bart. And so what's nice is I'm sitting, what's funny is I'm talking to you right now, and I'm sitting in my office here in uh, Burbank, California, and I'm looking at the wall in my office, and I'm staring at the cell of me. They get, they, they get, you know, they get, I've got tons of gifts now, as you can imagine, from the Simpsons over the years, you know, Simpson jackets, some vacuum cleaners, Simpson bowling balls, all this stuff. <laughs> but right now I'm staring at the cell, one of the cells from that first episode, and it's the cell of me as Joe Montana standing behind Bart, played by Doogie Howser, you know, <laughs> the drawing of, of the two of us. So I'm looking at that cell, and then just above it is another Simpson cell of me, uh, 
and then I'm looking at the other cell of me as Fat Tony when I was a little boy. There's an episode when I, they, they yep. flash back and you see me as a teenager. So I'm looking at these cells right now, and to me I get a big kick out of looking at that because I think, well, there's, there's this whole history of this character. And then, of course, then when I get killed and they come back as, you know, Fit Tony, you know, my, my <laughs> nephew, I mean... Uh, and I got to say, when I did that episode, that scared the hell out of me. Because when I first read the script, I saw that I got shot and I was killed. I went, "Oh my God, that's it! Fat Tony's done." Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I find out they had to they had other plans, and you know, Fat Tony becomes Fat Tony. <laughs> and, and thank God. <laughs> and on we go. So, so I would say all those things are, are kind of you know stick out to me. Uh, you know, one, one thing that does stick in my mind a lot. I was at one of the parties. Every year they always have a pretty wild, and it used to be the premiere party and the rap party was the same party because they kind of wrapped the season filming yeah. Yeah. right around the same time the first episode airs. And I remember at one of the parties, this guy comes up to me and says, Joe Matanja, you're my favorite character, and he rolls up his sleeve, and he had a huge Fat Tony tattoo on his shoulder. And I thought, oh my God, <laughs> it's come to this, <laughs> you know. And that... Uh, so, I mean, that was kind of like, well, okay, this guy's going to, you know, I may not be doing this character for the rest of my life, but this guy's going to have to live with my <laughs> his shoulder for the rest of his life. But anyway, so the, the, all those things are kind of, you know, fun. Like I said, I have nothing but, you know, when I think of The Simpsons, it brings a smile to my face, you know. Well, obviously, when you were first brought in, you were a guest star. I've always thought that it would have been great if they had have got other guest stars into play Fat Tony's Associates, Legs and Louie. We've discussed that we thought Joe Pesci would have been perfect for one of the roles. Who, who would you have loved to have brought in at the time to play the associates? Oh, God, yeah, well, I mean, first of all, the guys they have are terrific. I mean, Hank Azaria, yeah. you know, is such a tremendous voice. He's great. And, guy, you know, God bless the late Phil Hartman. I mean, I worked mm. with Phil not just on The Simpsons, but I worked with him on uh, on uh, Three Amigos. Yeah. I worked with him on I did Saturday Night Live. So, you know, having Phil around was great. But I mean, it, it, to play those guys, I mean, it really didn't, you know, like I said, uh, long as whoever did it appreciates doing the role as much as I appreciate doing Fat Tony, it really didn't matter to me who, who was doing Louie and all these guys like that. It's, uh, but, but, but the fact that I did do some with Phil and with Hank and, and then whoever else, uh, I'm not even sure who does, who does some of the other voices because when the gang changes, I'm never even sure who's voicing it. But a lot of times, like I said, we're not all together. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it, it didn't really matter to me. Have you ever had any creative input into the story of an episode involving Fat Tony? A little bit. Sometimes when we'll be recording, I'll come up with some ad-libs, you know what I mean? And sometimes they'll use them and sometimes they won't, you know, in other words. But I have that freedom, of course, absolutely. Like, in other words, if, if especially on those episodes that were very Fat Tony heavy, in other words, I had some opportunity to just say more than a couple lines. Uh, I remember there was one, I, we, we put in an ad-lib and had to do something with Bob Hope. And we all thought it was really funny yep. at the time. But I think between the time we recorded it and the time that it aired, Bob Hope died. Ooh. And so I think they cut it out. <laughs> we went back to whatever the original line was. But there's been some occasions. But for the most part, the writers are so good that there's not necessarily... You know, sometimes I've added things like when they've indicated that Fat Tony spoke like some Italian words or some Italian mm. phrases. They didn't really know the right words to say, and then I would provide them. So things like that. Yeah. You know, I'd come up with some slang, Italian slang, that I knew would resonate with people who understood that, you know. So so once in a while, yeah, I'd have some input. Well, although you were already an established name in Hollywood before you even joined The Simpsons, 
how has the character of Fat Tony brought you, or has it brought you any significant perks that you may not have got had you not been the voice of Fat Tony? Well, when you say perks, I mean, I guess all I would say is that it's it's great to be, you know, people, when people recognize you when you're in this business, it's usually for different things. Yeah. I mean, now that I've done Criminal Minds for so many years, that's obviously become the major thing because yeah. it has such a huge following all over the world. And so, you know, the character of David Rossi has become very prominent in my life, you know. But it used to be when I'd be in certain places, people, you know, if it was a certain age group, they'd come up to me and say, oh, man, we all we all grew up on Baby's Day Out, and that would be something <laughs> they talked about. Or, oh, we all loved the movie of the Rat Pack. It'd be certain kind of people who liked that. Or we all loved The Godfather, Joey Zaza. I'd get people yelling at the airports, Joey Zaza, you know, when that movie came out. So it's just the same thing with The Simpsons. In other words, there would be those people who are The Simpsons fans who would, that's the main thing they connect me with is Fat Tony. So it'll be like, hey, you're Fat Tony. You know, so I realized, okay, these are the Simpson followers or the Airhead followers or people like the movie Airhead. Yeah. Be, so it's, it's all about my character I played on the Airheads. So it, it, what it does for me, it just opens up that avenue of those fans and other ones, the huge Simpson fans. It's just nice to be thought of that I'm thought of as being part of that community that, oh yeah, Joe Montaigne is one of the Simpson people. And so the perk is just that, that it's just nice to be thought of in that group of people who have now been on one of the most successful television shows of all time. So that's just, that, that's a perk in itself, you know, but, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't give me a free snow cone at the Seven <laughs> Eleven. I'm sure if you came up and give, gave it your best menacing Fat Tony voice, you could get that if you were working hard at it. I probably could, but I, yeah, I, I tend not to capitalize on it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I do have, I have challenge coins. You know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that in Australia with the military. No. You know, no. In other words, here, there's a thing in the military between between military people when they shake hands, they pass coins to each other. Are okay. you familiar with that tradition? Uh, no, no, that's that's well, it, outside of us. <laughs> yeah, it's a tra- it's a tradition within the United States military, and I do a lot with the military. That's kind of like my my go to thing in terms of charity work and stuff like that for like people wounded from the military and are just helping. Gary Sinise and I both do a lot with the military. Yeah, and so I have these challenge coins made, and I have three different sets. I have one set that is Criminal Minds. It is that one side has my all of them have my star on the Walk of Fame because I do have a star on the Hollywood yeah, Walk yeah. of Fame here. And so my star is on one side of the coin. On the other side of the coin, uh, on, the, on the, some of the coins I hand out are, is the Criminal Minds logo. And on the, the other set of coins I have has the, uh, I have a Hirschfeld. The Hirschfeld is a famous artist here in the States that did work for the New York Times and would draw caricatures of people. Yep. He's long since passed away, but I was lucky enough that he did a, a caricature of mine when I did Glengarry Glen Ross. So my, I own that artwork, yeah. and that's kind of like my logo. Uh, you may have seen it or not, but it shows me smoking a cigarette, and that's my logo from Hirschfeld, and I have that on a coin. But now I've since added a third challenge coin, and my third challenge coin is, of course, Fat Tony is on the flip side. So I have my star on the one side and Fat Tony on the flip side. And I kind of use that coin when I'm, especially when I'm visiting these military guys who will put a lot of the young, these young guys in the military, they're huge Simpson fans. Yeah, yeah. And so if I, if I pick up on that, that, that Simpsons is their go-to connection to me, I give them that coin. So those are the things that, you know, I, I, that, that's how I acknowledge the fact that, that Fat Tony's an important character. And he's also on my golf bag. I have a golf bag. <laughs> <laughs> Why we have your email? I'll send you an email picture of uh, 
my golf bag because Fat Tony is very prominently featured on my golf bag. <laughs> That's very cool. As you've said, you know mostly for three roles, Godfather 3, The Simpsons, and Criminal Minds. However, are there any other roles that people on the street tend to remember you from that might impress you, or, or does it always just come back to those three? Uh, I would say, you know, David Rossi from Criminal Minds, yeah. Joey Zaza from Godfather 3, and Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Those are the three characters that I probably get most questioned mm. about. You know, there'll be other ones that'll come up, like I say, even the Muddy Pit, you know, Tom Hanks or Dean Martin and the Rat Pack and other roles I've played. But those three roles specifically, yeah, uh, you know, definitely. I'm glad you just brought the Money Pit up because for a comedy that wasn't probably overly, you know, big at the box office, particularly in Australia, I'm, I'm not sure what it did in the States. I reckon I watched that about mm-hmm. 40 times when I was a kid. Because uh, it was when my first sibling was born, uh, we were in hospital for a few days, and it was one of the three movies that the hospital at the time it was just, you know, very very low kind of low budget uh, room. They just kept playing that over and over and over again. Uh-huh. I was about twelve, <laughs> and for me, it was the funniest thing that I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, I, and I, I love looking through your kind of history on IMDb that. The, the amount of variation to your roles and to your characters, um, again, just speaks volumes to, to your ability as an actor to be able to adapt and work in so many different scenarios. And I'll cap off what is the record for the longest question that I've ever asked by <laughs> saying, what um, between either drama or comedy, uh, or, and I mean, you kind of take a straight edge to both, but between drama or comedy, film stage or television, what would you say is your most comfortable fit or where do you prefer to be? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I have been lucky enough to have done done it all in the sense I've worked on film, I've worked on stage, I've worked on television and I've done comedy and I've done drama. Uh, I even do books on tape. I mean, I, I, I've kind of, and I've, I've been directing lately. I've, I've directed four episodes of Criminal Minds. Yeah. I've got to direct a feature of Lake Boat few, some years past. So I've been dabbling and we, and now we produce some other shows as well. Uh, out of my office here, but uh, that's a good question. But, I, but at the end of the day, I'd have to say this: it really depends on the quality of the material. In other words, I, I, I love the fact I've been able to do the comedy I've done, which things like Airheads, like Money, uh, Money Pit, like uh, Baby's Day Out. I love doing that movie because there was a lot of physical comedy involved in that. Some of the sitcom stuff I did early in my career. Uh, I did the show Soap, the last eight episodes of the show show Soap that a lot of people never realized I did because I was really nobody then. But I got to play this one character of Juan Juan, which was a lot of fun to do. Mm -hmm. But but the the stuff I've done for David Mamet, I mean, some of it, there's a lot of humor involved in some of the characters. Even in in Glengarry Glen Ross, there's some humor involved in the way the character was done. Uh, Or in Things Change, the movie with Don Amici, the, the, even though it's a mammoth script, there's a lot of humor there. Mm-hmm. And then the more serious stuff, like House of Games, or uh, you know some some of the other stuff I've done. Uh, obviously, Godfather Three and different things like that. So I, I couldn't nail it down and say there's one particular thing. But 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 what I would say is, if it's a quality project and a quality role, quality you know stuff I did with Barry Levinson, Bugsy, and uh, Liberty Heights, the Woody Allen, being able to do a couple Woody Allen movies. Uh, It's really the quality of the material. So in other words, I'd rather do a great comedy 
than a not so good drama. Yeah. I'd rather do a great drama than a not so good comedy, you know. But if it's a role that I can wrap my head around and say, I can have fun with this or I can get into this and you know, I, I can resonate resonates with me. That's what's important and it's not so much whether it's comedy or drama. You just mentioned Barry Levinson. You've obviously worked with, uh, and Woody Allen. You've obviously worked with Sofia Coppola. Some of the, you know, the all-time great names. But are there any directors or writers that you haven't yet had the opportunity to do something with that you would love to be able to try and, you know, cross off the bucket list? Well, I mean, you know, it's always you always want. You know, Peter Falk was one of my dearest friends, and and he always said, he says, try to work with the best. They'll never, you know, they'll never hurt you. Is the way he used to say it. Yeah. And he's right. You know, in other words, you want to work with the best in the business because it's it just you just do. I mean, I've never worked with Martin Scorsese. I would love to because I admire him as a director. Maybe that day he'll come. Uh, but I've worked with Coppola. I've worked with Barry Levinson, Peter Yates. I've worked with some great Australians. Um, and my, his name's escaping me now. But the, when I did the when I did the Last Dawn, it was a miniseries. Mm. Uh, Graham Clifford. Okay. Graham Clifford, who was Australian, uh, tremendous director. And Graham directed the Last Don, which was two, Last Don One and Last Don Two was a miniseries. Uh, I was nominated for uh, an Emmy for that, for the Last Don, and, and and I attribute a lot of it to Graham because he was such a wonderful director, and he's Australian, and became a good friend. So uh, I, you never know who the next good director is out there, though. I mean, like yeah. I said, I've been lucky enough to work with some of the great ones. You know, David Mamet just as a director is a wonderful director as well. But I've been even working on Criminal Minds. Matthew Gubler, who plays Dr. Reed, he, he's a, he, he loves directing and he, he's, he's, he's wonderful to work with. So, I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me if they're big name directors or just first starting out, if they have a real passion for it. And if I, and if, again, if I'm enjoying myself working with them, that's all that matters. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to let you know that I'm yeah. so happy that you look back fondly on Baby's Day Out because your role as Eddie was my first memory of you because I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons as a kid and I absolutely loved Baby's Day Out <laughs> as a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Eddie, Eddie Mauser. I mean, and I got beat up so much in that movie. I mean, people still, you know, they, they, tell, they tell me they'll just... They'll just go back when they need a laugh. They'll just they'll just cue it up to where my pants get on fire and the guy <laughs> stomps off my crotch. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, it was like... Uh, but I loved it. I mean, we shot that in Chicago, which is my hometown. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed making that movie. As we said, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. We really, really do appreciate it. And good luck with the future, mate. No, I appreciate you guys just because you are fans and you, you do you do have the, and the interest in it. And like I said, I loved Australia, so I, 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 I feel a bond with that country. And so my, my best to you all, and, and thanks for your interest. Thank you for your time, Joe. As we said, one of the nicest guys that you could imagine speaking to. We keep saying this every time we talk to someone on this show, that we're always so blown away by how humble they've been and how giving of their time, the fact that they are... One of the things that he said, we asked what one of his, you know, what's the best perk about being on the show? And for his answer was, it gives him a new section of people to talk to in the community. Like, how amazing is that? That mm. someone that has done all that he's done still 
just wants to meet people and connect to people. It's phenomenal. I was expecting him to say something like, oh, no, I'm in a figurine now and stuff like that. I but have no, a sandwich named after Yeah, me. exactly right, which he did bring up, but it wasn't because of that. But maybe that's a key as to why The Simpsons has been so successful. Maybe that everyone that works on the show, whether it be a guest star or a main cast member, they're just so humble and nice and appreciative of the fact that they have the opportunity that they have. Yeah, they just keep getting good people. Yeah, and the, the better press you get, the longer the show's going to go, isn't it? Of course. Plus, obviously, you've got to be creatively good as well, but... yeah. But anyway, I hope you all enjoyed our interview with Joe Montagna. We'd love to hear what you thought about it. So either email us at mailbag at fourfingerdiscount.com.au or drop Mitch a message on Twitter at fourfingerpod. If you want to find out more about Joe, you can either like him on Facebook, facebook.com slash joemontagna. You can follow him on Twitter at joemontagna. And for all the other info, you can just go to joemontagna.com. A lot of information in there about his uh, charity work and other films. Joe's a little bit too classy to do the promoting himself, but... He did mention, obviously, the Gary S- work he does with Gary Sinise. He also does a lot of work for autism. And just in general, all-round nice guy. Also, don't forget Criminal Minds coming to your TVs. So they've just wrapped season 11 and three months' time, roughly starting on season 12. So for all you Criminal Minds fans out there, that show's not going anywhere. Which hasn't been announced yet. So, ooh, maybe a scoop. Breaking news. <laughs> I doubt it. But anyway, so thanks for listening. Hope you did appreciate successful it. Successful show remains successful. Mitch and Dando first with the story. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. I'll catch you guys next week. Shh.